This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Buckle in, folks. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, of course, it is Yo-Yo Day. So if you ever had a yo-yo, today is the day to uh, bring it out of storage and start yo-yoing. Were you a big uh, sleeping cradle, what they call it? Uh, did you know all the tricks? I knew some of them. Yeah, I didn't know any of them. I had my butterfly, the Duncan butterfly yo-yo. Oh, yeah, those makes were the, the best. a little easier. Had a couple Mickey Mouse yo-yos. Did you have any that w- would light up when you'd spin them? Um, I think I had one of those. I mean, those are like the, the Cadillac in. of the yo-yo. Not really. If you could get a Duncan lighting up yo-yo, oh, yeah. then you know you've arrived. I think I had a glow-in-the-dark one at one point. My son got one for his birthday. Really? My uh, How's he doing with that? Well, he goes, Dad, you have to show me because I started playing with it. And uh-huh. I'm like, wow, this is fun. And so he wanted to play with it, and so he starts... He throws it down, and then he starts swinging it around. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to go outside. Someone is going to die if you keep flinging that thing all over the The house. original fidget toy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say that You know that what way. I mean? Back, yeah. I mean, it, back in the day. Well, I guess a switchblade was the original fidget toy. <laughs> oh, lovely. And then, but yo-yos used to be, some kids would just carry their yo-yo to school, and then at every recess, they'd be fidgeting, pretending to do tricks. Wouldn't, wouldn't the original fidget toy be a rock? Probably. Yeah. Rock a stick. Yeah. Yeah. Good thought. Just a thought. Just a thought. (laughs) Just a thought. Yo-Yo Day, by the way. It's also drive-in movie day. This is is an important day uh, because I think if you haven't been to a drive-in movie lately, you're missing an entire population of people that uh, you can't find anywhere else but at a drive-in. There's just something special about people that can spend all night at a drive-in. In the back of a truck with eight kids, it's all of them in their pajamas. It's where I first saw E.T. Oh, really? Yeah. My parents took us to the drive-in. It closed a few years it's, later. Oh, did it? Darn yeah, it. condos, it's you know. Great Everyone memories. Everyone needs more condos. Yeah. No, I loved it. We take our we take our kids about every four years. <laughs> we thought it was going to be like a yearly tradition, and then – See, my, my know, a lot of weird is, stuff went down. Movie theaters have you know seats and air conditioning and mm-hmm. better sound systems and the box you hang on the window. Yeah. So yeah, we'll yeah. go there. Sorry, it's a good it's a good uh, good life. So uh, you know if you haven't done it lately and if you don't have a drive-in movie near you, it's worth traveling for. In fact, you have to travel because you'll need a car to to get into the movies. But uh, take some blankets, right? Take some lawn chairs and uh, some antibacterial soap. And I like to take antacids because I eat a lot of junk food there as well. Hey, it's, a, it's also going to be an interesting day. Today we're going to be talking about what went wrong with college sports. How the NCAA, according to our guest today, they're in trouble. And uh, they, they, need to, they need a makeover. And it's not enough to just have a few fixes. Like it needs to be completely revamped. Right. Big problems. Not making enough – Maybe not focusing enough on where they should probably be focusing. What would that be? The student athletes? N- no. Oh. They tend to focus a lot there. Well, yeah. They don't tend to focus enough maybe on academics. A lot of the money but, isn't going to academics. But isn't it about sports? 
Well, it's Cardell Jones' old tweet, I ain't here to play school. Oh, right, right. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Right. That's exactly okay. what we're talking about. Now we understand. You are here, and it's being subsidized. All these athletes then end up being subsidized because these teams aren't making as much money as they need to be making. Hmm. And yet it's costing a fortune. Right. So we'll get into that fun. I mean, I don't want to blow up a bubble. I, mean, I don't want to burst the bubble on anybody, but – you know, most college sports teams aren't profitable. Yeah, I wrote a paper on this in college. It was fun. Did you? How how'd that go? You over? know what my solution was? What? If you can't fund yourself, then you're an in, you need to be an intramural sport. Just be on campus. Be maybe regional. Maybe, no, but maybe there's laws. A, there's a ba- laws now. A bake sale and get a bus and you can drive to the next college. Holy and have cow! A, have a, it's not worth the money to send a team across the nation to play in front of ten people. It's true. It just doesn't make logistical, doesn't make any economical sense. Maybe they just could, you know, Skype it in. <laughs> Skype the game, yeah. <laughs> it just, I mean, it might work. You, you'll see so many. And, and, like, college baseball is a big one. You send these teams across the nation to play in these games and no one's there. And then you've got the big five. What do they call the big five teams? The big five conferences. conferences. Yep. Power five. Power five. There's mm-hmm. how many – How. If you're not in a Power Five conference, you're probably losing money in your sports department because you don't have a TV deal, you don't have marketing, you don't have all these extra. But but hundreds of teams, hundreds of schools still have teams. They do. They all do. Every single one. So what would happen if there was a revolt and everyone just started closing down their teams? Yeah, I don't know. And just focusing on getting people ready to go work for the rest of their lives. <gasps> I know. Sounds horrible. Lame. Or you could just go to a drive-in movie. You could. Because it's drive-in movie day. They could put that money into making drive-in theaters, movie theaters better. (sighs) It's just sad what's happening to this world. We uh, will get to all that fun. Plus, the headlines from Terry South. uh, Just the news you need to know. The local and state uh, U.S. news uh, that's important to you, Terry. Let's get started with that. What's going on? A federal contractor has been charged with leaking classified national security agency document on Russian hacking before the 2016 presidential election to online media outlet, the Department of Justice announced Monday. (coughs) Check out this name. Excuse me. Reality Lay Winner. 25. It's a great name. Of Pluribus International Corporation in Georgia. Reality Winner. Yes. Admitted to purposely leaking the information, prosecutors said she was arrested June 3rd. Releasing classified material without authorization threatens our nation's security and undermines public faith. Uh, This from the Deputy Attorney General Rod uh, Rosenstein said in a statement Monday. People who are trusted with classified information and pledged to protect it must be held accountable when they violate that obligation. Winner had top secret security security clearance and an internal audit found that she was just one of six people who printed the leaked document and the sole person to have made contact via email. There's a story out uh, yesterday about Russian hackers getting into voter information, mm-hmm. right? And they did it in Arizona and a couple other places. That story came out before the election. She's the one that leaked the document. The NSA knew it was her or one of these six people because the document, the website The Intercept published, had a crease in it, so they knew it was 
printed. It wasn't just like an electronic document. Yeah, yeah. So they knew there's only six people that have access to the document to print it. They talked to those six. She admitted it. And found the email in her email or whatever? Something like oh, that. Like, and yeah. then the other, the other side of it is there's an Espionage Act from the 1930s that is being used here. And it's supposed to, you know, giving it to foreign uh, foreign yeah. agents, basically. Yeah. Is, does this qualify when you give it to a media organization? When the information is for the public good. Well, and then Jason Chaffetz came out and said, there's a better way to to be a, what do they call it? A whistleblower. A whistleblower. Right. Than, you know, giving it to the breaking media. the law. Right. But, in the end, they said that uh, the Obama administration would have prosecuted this, too. Because, in, a, in effect, you take that oath, you violate yeah. the oath, the penalty no, is jail. I think it's huge. Especially because the leaks are incredible. There's so many of them now. So, reality winner. It's a great name, though. It'll be a great name in prison. We'll <laughs> and, a fun love tid- it. and a fun tidbit. One of my best friends here went to high school with her. Oh, really? So, where are they now? You where never know are they now? Who those, where those Wait kids from high school are. Wait reunion. In other news, the average American credit score at a high, a high in April, according to recent FICO data, up about one point from last fall, the average score hovers around 700, the highest it's been since 2005 when FICO first started tracking the data. Additionally, the share of consumers with subprime credit scores below 600 fell to a new low of about 40 million, or about 20% of the U.S. adults who have those scores. This number is down from its peak of 25% in 2010. Wow. So, you know, good job, America. Yes. I guess. Um, a Competing with Amazon's Echo and Alexa's assistant, Apple on Monday announced, introduced a new Siri assistant speaker called the HomePod. Uh. Dumb name. The voice-operated speaker mirrors that of its competitors, though Apple's new hardware rollout boasts the ability to connect with Apple Music and send text messages. Siri will be in addition. How much do you think this costs? What? So you got the Amazon Echo at $179. Yeah, okay. Google's just a little bit more than that. What do you think the Apple speaker costs? I'm going to bet it will be a little bit more than both of them. 450 $350. Yeah, because they're, Apple's just better than everybody. Uh-huh. Period. A lot of these, a lot of these devices are used to set timers and play music, which are things your phone does. Yeah, and you're going to spend three hundred fifty dollars. So but it's can... more than that. it's a speaker. Oh, you're right. And it can eavesdrop, and it could send you to court. Right, and it can. <laughs> Apparently, spy. we've had stories that do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and it can get your kids to buy things and purchase, and your family to purchase things you didn't even know you were buying. Right, because yeah. you were talking about it. You got to pay for that convenience, Terry. Uh, Apple announced also Monday that Siri will be able to function across devices, have more of a natural-sounding voice instead of the robotic voice that's there now. Maybe maybe the first time you ask for a 30-minute timer, it'll just set it instead of saying, uh, what? Pardon me? I can't hear yeah. you. Which is what oh, it does to me. nothing more frustrating than... Which is why I don't use it. It's easier... At that point, if you have to repeat yourself, just unlock your phone and set the timer. It's the right. same amount of time it's and frustration. so much faster. Uh, the company also hinted at upcoming iPhone capabilities, whatever that means, because it's, you know, your phone could fly. Good job. Also, other announcements include the all-new 10.5-inch iPad Pro. Wow. So they have a really big one. They have like a 9.7, which is more your normal size, and now they have a 10.5. So the size of like a piece of paper almost? Almost, almost a sheet of paper. We're almost there. Hmm. 
Okay. And finally, they're bringing uh, Hank Williams Jr. back to Monday Night Football. Yes! And uh, all his rowdy friends. And all his rowdy friends. Do you remember why he was taken off Monday Night Football? No. Uh, because, let's see, he broke ties with ESPN in 2011 with his controversial remarks about then-President Barack Obama, in which he said Obama playing golf with then-Speaker John Boehner was like Hitler playing golf with Netanyahu. Wow. Yeah, so they cut them loose then. But they're cool with them now. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> Isn't it weird? I mean, how much power these entertainers have. Right. I mean, and they speak publicly. I mean, we've heard a lot of um, a lot of comedians now getting in trouble. Bill mm-hmm. Maher's now in trouble for things he's, some, he's been some... caught saying but has been saying for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, in, it's intense what's it's a, happening. It's a new day. Kathy Griffin. Well, I mean, if, at this rate, we are going to lose all of our comedians. See, the Kathy Griffin thing to me was baffling because she went ahead and did what she did with the yeah. uh, the fake severed head thing, and then the next day came out and had a press conference where she apologized, but then said, "Hey, now I'm being bullied." Yeah, I'm like, well, they're ruining her didn't career. You, didn't you ask for the the attention? I mean, don't you know not to touch the Trump rail, the third rail of politics? What are you doing? Everybody knows you don't go near that. Did you see the photo of the guy mowing the lawn with a tornado behind him? Yes. That was in Canada. Holy cow. Uh, I'm thinking like Kansas. Yeah, but it's in the plains of Canada. Cecilia Wessels took the photograph of her husband, Thunis. T-H-E-U-N-I-S? Yeah. Is that his name? Sounds Thunis? like Tuna, Tunis? Tunis? Tunis. He's pushing his lawnmower Friday as a funnel cloud loomed over him in the backyard. That's more than a funnel cloud. It is. That tornado is touching the ground almost. Oh, here's some audio. Yeah, it's chaos. Um, so he's out there pushing the lawnmower. She posted it to her Facebook page. says, my beast mowing the lawn with a breeze in his hair. You know, I, okay, so let's, uh, so why would Tunis do that? Um, he's, There's got to be a backstory. Well, mainly because uh, he said there was no danger. It was he looked out. He, you could see the storm was moving away from them. Yeah. So he just went. Eh, I'm going to mow my lawn. Mow my lawn. They said the entire neighborhood was on their back patios taking pictures. I mean, the whole street and was he's there. Out no mowing. one, no one left. He was just mowing the lawn. She took no, a picture. You know that's not the real story. What's the real story? story is his wife said, "Wow, the neighbor's yard looks really nice." <laughs> They sure mow their lawn regularly. Are we ever going to mow our lawn? And then he's like, fine. And he did it. He chose to do it right in the middle of a tornado. Wow. Pretty sure. I would do it during a tornado just to get rid of all the grass clippings. Oh, that would be awesome. Then you, you wouldn't just, have, yeah. just shake them in the air and they just, they're gone. There'd be no blower. You wouldn't yeah. have to rake anything. It yeah. just, it's gone. It's not a bad idea. It's brilliant. That's pretty crazy, uh, little view. Did you hear that Harvard um, apparently accepted a lot of a bunch of people, and then ten people, incoming freshmen, were then uh, their acceptance offers were rescinded. Hmm. They said no, you're not coming because they found that some of these freshmen had been posting hateful memes. Oh, so they tracked down, they followed up on these guys, and then they found out that they're they're not necessarily living up to the standards of Harvard. Hmm. So you're out. You were in. Now you're out. They do check out your social media quite a bit. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, you're in trouble. So I guess the only way to do it is make it all private so no one can see any of it. And you got to be careful because it or could just be delete just, everything. I mean, it could be some group, uh, some of the members joked about subjects including sexual assault, the Holocaust, death oh. of children, oh. certain ethnic or racial groups. Right. 
That's always good material. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these there's Harvard's like, no, you, you're not allowed to be a part of our club. Right. I mean, that's a big deal. These, this is, I mean, think of how much money they will have lost because they didn't get to go to Harvard. It is a, it is a reflection of you because you chose to click on something to share it with other people. Yeah. And, and you probably, they, uh, probably each one of them would say, oh, that's not really how I feel or that's not really a reflection of me, but it is. It's, it's, it's what you chose to share. It's already, it's already hard to get into Harvard. 39,000 people applied for the class of 2021 and they accepted only 2,000 students. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Anyway, see, be careful what you post. It'll get you. And it's good to see that uh, some universities are are taking the college life seriously, right? So up next, we'll be talking about unwinding the madness. Think about March Madness. It's time to unwind the madness. What went wrong with college sports and how to fix it? Uh, We'll be talking with the author of the book. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the purpose of collegiate sports is a way to help students with different talents and help them receive an education through scholarships, right? That was that's that's why we have sports on college campuses. But but is that morphing into something else? For many, it's really more about the sports than actually even the studies. Have the NCAA derailed from their original goal? Here to speak with us today is Gerald Gurney. He's an assistant professor of adult and higher education at the University of Oklahoma and the author of the book Unwinding Madness, What Went Wrong with College Sports and How to Fix It. Uh, Gerald, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Matt. This is quite a comprehensive uh, of, uh, I guess, uh, approach to this issue of the NCAA. And now now walk us through. So the National Collegiate, Collegiate Athletic Association, you're, you're basically proposing they be, they be, like, I guess, broken down, torn down, and because they're struggling trying to, to, uh, to reinstitute new rules to create a change in, in, in sports. But what is your proposal? Right, Matt. Even the most casual observer of college sports today um, knows that something is amiss. We have seen repeated instances of academic fraud. The North Carolina case is is the most um, obvious one. We have seen nearly every... um, long-held tenant of the NCAA, um, such as amateurism being challenged, the pay-for-play argument, um, the um, ineffectual efforts of college presidents to um, affect the the changes that are necessary in the NCAA. So my co-authors and I, and and I I need to give them credit as well, Andy Zimbalist, who's um, probably the most respected economist in college sports, 
is one of my co-authors, and Donna Lopiano, who's an expert at Title IX, a former women's uh, athletic director at University of Texas, um, all feel very, um, very strongly that college sports is in educational, ethical, and economical crisis, mm. where um, big-time college sports is unsustainable. Ninety percent of them are operating in deficits, tremendous student debt, totaling $10.3 billion. Holy cow. Students are paying in the last five years to sustain their programs. And I suspect BYU is one of those programs that needs student fees in order to exist. Hmm. There are many programs that are paying up to 80% of the operating expenditures of an athletic department. Each year, student debt towards athletics specifically goes up about $4 billion devoted to keeping things going. So University of Central Florida, for example, is just beginning a, um, a water park for the, specifically for their athletes. Clemson University wow. has laser tag and beach volleyball and a bowling alley and a barber shop and, uh, and now sleeping pods to give athletes a place to, to have a nap. Unfortunately, very little of college sports resembles in any way, shape, or form uh, the pursuit of education. What it resembles is attracting 17, 18, 19-year-old kids who are recruits and keeping them there. Hmm. But you hear it's so crazy that 90 percent of these or 90 plus percent of the schools are having financial troubles when you hear about how much money there. I mean, it makes sense, but there's a lot of money in this, right? There's a there's a lot of ticket sales being sold. There's there's a lot of money being made, but then it's just not enough. Well, well Matt, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of money floating around. The problem is that athletic department's mentality is to spend everything you get. Hmm. They have no stockholders. Not only that, they have the advantage of tax exemption. So, for example, when a booster has a suite in BYU Stadium, they are writing off 80% of that, of, uh, of that cost to taxes. Now, that, that's all fine, but who's paying those taxes? Matt, it's you and me and everyone else. Right, right. So it, it gets a little bit ridiculous when most of the money seems to be funneled into more barbells, more dumbbells, more um, very expensive facilities, and, of course, the salaries of coaches, the salaries of athletic directors, conference commissioners, all of the administrators. So everyone's making out quite well, except for the athlete. Right. Yeah. Is, is, is this why so many athletes are crying to be paid? Like, we want to be paid in college. Yeah, of course they're crying to be paid because they're smart. They look around. 
They see all this money and they're saying, where's mine? Mm. And in addition to that, when you listen to them very carefully, what they are, what many are saying is that the education that's being offered to them is not meaningful. What happens is, we first of all, we admit our most vulnerable athletes who have severe academic deficiencies, about 10% are functionally illiterate, 95% read below the ninth grade level. We let them into school, and we funnel them into friendly majors with friendly professors where they do little or no work to achieve, to um, maintain their eligibility. Hmm. And um, it's also a recipe for academic fraud, and that's what you see going on right now. Even the NCAA's director of, en director of enforcement admits that academic fraud is at an epidemic level. And who's responsible for all this? It's college presidents. The, the NCAA's board of directors are all college presidents. They have the power to change this. They have the power to um, make the NCAA an efficient operation that benefits, truly benefits the student athlete. But in fact, they have been miserable failures. Hmm. So they're they're I mean they have the power they sh they probably do know the problems they just aren't fixing it there I guess there's probably too much pressure from the boosters right you have a exactly. lot of people that love this exactly we make the argument that it is in the pre it is not in the president's self interest to buck the system to make it right put it on uh, a, a different course so we argue for what most nonprofits have, and that is independent board of directors, former college presidents, former athletes, former um, athletic directors that are not uh, that that don't have a conflict of interest when making big decisions. So, um, and and then we offer a number of other. Um, concepts that I think the reader will find quite interesting. No, I think it's boy, it's about time we we have a more public discussion about this. And yet, again, we we so celebrate the March Madness that your book's kind of named over, named about. We we love the football tournaments. We hear here at BYU, we hear over and over how bad they're trying to get into one of the big five conferences. Is it in the bigger five conferences? Is that the only place any money is being made? Or even in those conferences, are the majority of the schools not making the money? Well, the Power Five conferences abscond about 75% of the college football playoffs and leave 25% for the group of five and all of the other divisions. That doesn't seem to be hmm. an equitable uh, distribution of funding. And my, my friend and co-author Andy Zimbalist is far more of an expert at the, at the sustainability. But the book makes it very clear that 
the college football playoff is inequitable. It, it, uh, it predicts a very bleak future for the group of five, and that is, in fact, why BYU, um, who beat Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma in football, not once but twice while I was in the athletic department here, um, so very much wants to uh, join the, po the Power Five, and they may very well be able to do that someday. Hmm. Boy, it is a it is a it's a sticky wicket, isn't it? It's a tangled web because there's you know there's so much going on behind the scenes, and um, so very few people even know the numbers that you're giving us. It's but it is it's in trouble. It's 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 you're saying it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable, and the NCAA really has departed from its mission of education and being complementary to the university. But in fact, it, it really, in many respects, drives the university um, rather than complements the university. And it is getting a, clearly getting away from its mission. When an athlete signs a national letter of intent, they make a contract with the university. And that is that the athlete will give his or her services uh, to the university for one to four years. And in return, in return, the school promises to educate the athlete. But what we have seen uh, in our studies and what I have seen in 31 years working in college athletics at senior level positions is that the athlete often settles for a second class education and they are there, they feel as though they are there just to be an athlete, and the education is absolutely secondary. So while we see the occasional scholar, we also see so many who are wedged into majors that they really don't particularly want, uh, really didn't uh, set out to explore, and um, they simply took the path of least resistance to stay eligible under the direction of academic support programs. Hmm. Wow. Okay, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Gerald Gurney and his book, Unwinding Madness, What Went Wrong with College Sports and How to Fix It. He wrote the book with Donna Lopiano and Andrew Zimbalist. Uh, a pretty uh, intensive um, review of what's going on with the NCAA and, and uh, university programs when it comes to sports might be time to, you know, pull up the whole thing from the roots and rebuild it according to our guests. We'll take a break, come back, continue the journey. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends. On the phone with us is uh, Dr. Gerald Gurney. He's the author of the book Unwinding Madness, What Went Wrong with College Sports and How to Fix It. Uh, other co-authors on the book were Donna Lopiano and Andrew Zimbalist, some of the uh, those in the know, some of the best-researched um, experts on the field of college sports. And, uh, Gerald, again, thank you for your time and being with us. My pleasure, Matt. This, um, one of the things about the book uh, that I love, there are so many statistics in there. So you actually get, you, you get to read the real data about what the costs are, what percentage of schools are actually making money. But, Gerald, what, what do the schools that know they're not making money, that are underwater, that are losing money, what argument do they make for why they keep doing it? What's their rationale? Yeah, the rationale is uh, largely coming from the college president. And what he is saying is that uh, the being in big-time college sports puts a special emphasis on a university. And that 30-second spot um, on a nationally televised game or even a regionally televised game is invaluable to them. A couple of problems with that. Given the millions of dollars that are, millions and millions of dollars that are pouring into athletics, they could easily buy a spot uh, (laughs) during the Super Bowl and get, uh, and, and still have a lot of change left over. Yeah, get a better return. Oh, absolutely. This is a bad investment. Um, and there is no doubt about it. The, the um, other issue with, with that, aside from it being a bad investment, is that while presidents are saying that they absolutely have to do that, they simply charge students for the expenses of operating uh, the athletic department and specifically football, men's basketball, which are the uh, vastly most expensive. Hmm. And they're doing it on the backs of the students. And that, that's the biggest issue that we uh, have in the book. Uh, this is student debt that is unnecessary. And in today's society, when the cost of higher education is so expensive, um, and we have progressives talking about free education um, for for everyone. Somebody's got to pay for this free education. And uh, do we really want to add more student debt so that it makes it more difficult for students to obtain higher education? After all, we're supposed to be about higher education. Right. Now, we could make the argument that there is much that can be learned from athletic participation. We agree with that. Yeah. We love college athletics. We want to see it survive. But can we do it more efficiently and less costly without such... Um, a load on the backs of the students. Think about all of that money that's pouring in. If we could simply limit this escalating salary, it's gotten really out of hand when we're paying Krzyzewski $9, $10 million a year 
when um, um, Saban is making, um, I don't know what, he, he just got a new contract, yeah, he did. but it's getting close to $10 million, million a year. And then, of course, it's their entire staffs. We're now paying coordinators, offensive and defensive coordinators, well over a million dollars. We simply can't afford that, and there must be some limitations. Now, the only way to do, the only way to stop all of those challenges in the courts, which are now going on, essentially the argument is, why aren't you paying the athletes? Right. Not getting a good education anyway. So if, if we want to do something about that, the only way to accomplish an antitrust exemption or a limited antitrust exemption is through Congress. And there we, and now <laughs> I, I hear all of the skepticism that we simply can't get that through, through Congress. And that may or may not be true. But perhaps it is, is it, it is at least my hope that both Democrats and Republicans have a strong feeling about the value of education, and maybe they could get together someday, some way, and pass a limited conditional antitrust exemption, which would limit the, the spending and salaries, conditioned upon more benefits for the athletes, more focus on education, more focus on an independent governance of athletics, and um, to begin fixing some of these extremely difficult problems. Because mm. there really, there's so much money in the brands. There's so much money in the, like the Under Armour kind of the apparel contracts that are just additive contracts as well. Um, it seems like you could just outsource your brand. Like you could, you know, the Longhorns could turn their brand over to another, an outside organization that just pays them to use their brand. Well, it seems to me that one of the one of the directions that we find possible and even probable is these group is college sports splitting off. Yeah. Where we have a power five group of maybe 60 schools that play each other, and essentially they're professional uh, teams, and will ultimately just simply rent the stadium, call themselves uh, the University of Oklahoma, for example, would would charge them to use their name, yeah, to rent their to rent the stadium. And just and just do away with this pretense of this being amateur athletics because we know it's not right, and it has nothing to do with education. The other choice is to swing the pendulum back and make it more subservient to the university and to education. Boy, that would Obviously, be nice. That's what I prefer. Yeah. Well, I saw it, we saw it here at BYU when um, there used to be a college called Rick's College in Idaho that eventually became BYU-Idaho, and uh, it was owned by the LDS Church, and when they made it BYU-Idaho, one of the first things to go was their football program. 
their athletic programs. And I think based on the numbers, it just wasn't probably smart business and it they went away. And the university's thriving. Now they're really known for doing a lot of online uh, training and development and classes and I mean, you sit there and you think, and, and that was made by an organization that is a church that's that's fiscally doesn't have all the money in the world and has to, you know, make smart decisions. It, right. It's and and didn't have to worry about some of the political impact. Yeah, and and we uh, we believe very strongly that it is time for colleges to evaluate where they are in terms of chasing. This uh, there's a chapter in which I talk about chasing Flutie. We remember the 1984, yeah. or, or was it 1986 or 1984? I don't remember. With Doug Flutie. But at any rate, Doug Flutie in the last six seconds of a Cotton Bowl launches a hail mary from his 48 yard line, and it's caught by Gerard Phelan against University of Miami. He goes on to give national prominence to Boston College. Hmm. Well, there have been a lot of studies on the Flutie effect, and it turns out that it's a myth. <laughs> Pouring money into athletics doesn't necessarily mean, number one, you're going to win. What they found was that even if you win, um, it's short-term. The money, the money tends to go to athletics and not to the university. So it doesn't do the university much good. And when you lose, and that happens, you can count on it, um, the uh, donations dry up. And not only that, um, it does nothing for improving the long-term reputation of the university. And the students, that you, while you get more students applying after it, the championship, uh, these students tend to be of lower quality, hmm. academic quality. So in balance, it's a myth. And, and many, many scholars have determined that uh, over a period of time. Um, well, and we've looked at that very carefully. Plus there's the negative side too, oh, and we've got to wrap it up, but the sanctions, the some of the the cheating that has been found in some of these major universities, they go on a tear and win two or three national championships and then, you know, sanctions against USC, against Ohio State, against Miami through the years. I mean, every university, really. So it's it's out of control. There seems to be a, a, a very negative side as well. Gerald, as we wrap it up, what's what would you say? Is, is there anything we can just do? Should we be writing to our Congress people? What should we be doing if we want to be more involved in um, in this, other than, of course, buying the book Unwinding Madness? I think if the general public would, would um, not be afraid to carefully examine what's going on in their athletic program, there is a bill that uh, has been uh, what they call dropped, offered in Congress, uh, Senator, or excuse me, Congressman Dent from uh, Pennsylvania is about to, to, what they call drop the bill again, calling for a presidential commission on uh, intercollegiate athletic reform. And uh, it's a, a, a bill that just begins to study what's going on in college sports. But um, the more activism 
um, individuals can do, the better. There is also a group called the Drake Group. I'm a former president of the Drake Group, which focuses on academic integrity in intercollegiate athletics. Hmm. And they, it's drakegroup.org. They can look it up on the, on the Internet, um, and um, they'll see all of the work that that group is doing. So they can simply join that and become a voice in, in restoring athletics to being complementary to universities rather than the tail wagging the dog. Yeah, love that. And, I mean, it's a great start, Gerald. Plus, just staying on top of it and, uh, I think, looking for your works and as well as your co-authors, Donna Lopiano and Andrew Andrew Zimbalist. Great articles. We've had Andrew on the show before as well. Wonderful uh, insights, and we appreciate it, Gerald. Um, Folks, I mean, it's easy. It's entertainment. It's exciting. Come on. It's super exciting. And uh, it's not what it's always, you know, what we think it is. Don't assume they're making money. Check into your universities. Find out what it's really costing us to, to keep this these dreams alive. And does it really pay off? We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Again, hey, nobody loves a, a good football game, basketball game, sports than I do. I love attending the live events as well. And uh, even at BYU, I'm falling in love with other sports, soccer, as well as uh, volleyball, baseball, sports, college sports I didn't even know I'd be that into. But let's be real as well. We are setting up some expectations that it is profitable. And when you read and listen to the experts, they're not as profitable as you think. They are taking money from the education departments and uh, putting it in the sports departments and charging and and raising the cost of all the fees across the university. So it's costing people. Let's just be open to it. Make sure that uh, your kids' dreams are also in their ability to get a good education as well. That's, uh, the, that's the hour. We'll take a break, come back, continue the journey, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt, you're here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest research or just access to some of the latest, greatest thinkers about life so that you can get the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, by the way, no exception. We've got a wonderful guest coming up. Greg Trimble will be joining us. Dads Who Stay and Fight. That's the name of his book, How to Be a Hero for Your Family. Father's Day in two weeks. Father's Day in two weeks. So we're going to teach you how to stay and fight as a father. That's, I mean, that sounds bad. But fight for your family. Yes. We'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll have a great discussion with Greg. <laughs> His point being that too many are not. Yeah, we don't. They don't stick around, hmm. or or they're there, but they don't actually 
do the the fatherly role model type things that your kid and your family need you to be. You know what? Uh, it's easy to kind of disconnect as a father. Like yesterday when I was showing my, my kid, I go, here is a fidget spinner trick. He was trying to show me a trick. I showed him a trick. So see, I was leading. Did you now? Yeah. I'd love to see that trick. It's not really that good of a trick. He's okay. six. He's easily impressed. You... <laughs> You got you to gotta be involved with your kids. I was – what was I doing? I was doing something and all of my family on Sunday night, they were all outside playing games. Hmm. And I was on the phone texting I think my other son that's out of town. And my daughter came in like saying, get out here. You need to be a father. Wow. All right. Jeez. Well, fine. Bossy. Get off my back. <laughs> then I'm going to spank you. And then I took her over my knee and – Oh, wow. No, I didn't. No, but just, okay. it's easy to just, you know, think you're doing a great job because you're texting one child but neglecting four. You know? It's, and there's these moments when you take your son to get stitches, for example, and you teach him the meaning of life. You teach him, you tell him about your scars, your stitches. You tell him about, ah, you'll be fine. You embarrass him in front of the nurse saying, my son is wondering if this is going to make fewer ladies want to marry him. Wow. I said that to about my 12-year-old son, and then he hates me. He thought he called me a bully. He said, you were bullying me with a nurse. Really? And then I had to teach him what bullying really is about. (laughs) This is bullying. You call that bullying. (laughs) Anyway, dads, we got to step up. So we'll be talking about that. Also, we're celebrating Yo-Yo Day. Yo. Uh, isn't she a isn't he a cellist? Yo yo Ma. Ma. Yeah. Different yo-yo. Yeah. Yo Ma. That's different. The best yo-yo? Yeah. James Bond. One of the movies had a yo-yo. Like a razor blade. Turned into yo-yo. a big like saw blade thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kinda had a feeling you'd go there. It tore up a pillow because they were James Bond was sleeping and they <laughs> Yeah, shot right through the pillow. That was that was a good movie. I, I was like, that. how do you catch that yo yo? That, that seems like just the – you do the yo part, but you don't like do the reverse yeah, you don't, yo. Yeah, you don't bring it back up. Or, yeah, yeah, you just let that go. Well, the first few guys did. Yeah, it was it was problematic. It's, you it's, you could see they needed some sort of you know warning on there. Yeah. Just some directives. Um, apparently, there is a game going on about how long you can stay in a, in a Walmart without going crazy. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about the, that. The current record holder. I mean, are, well, I guess Walmarts are open at 48 hours or 24 hours a day, so people can just stay there all night. Well, you got to keep moving, but yeah. Why? See how long it, you could stay in there before someone tries to kick you out. Why? It's summertime. <laughs> Why not? Kids aren't in school. This is what they do. This is what the internet has wrought. Hmm. People record this stuff, put it up so that people will watch it. So you do these things so you get... Views. It's kind of sad. It kind of is, but it's it's a funny story. That's great. Because it's other people doing it. You don't have to do it. No, no. You don't have to do Nor it. Nor would you ever do that. No, no. It's beneath you. Right. You have things to do. I mean, we used to throw snowballs as kids. Right. We never thought of like going to a store and staying there as long as we could. Anyway, I guess we just aren't as cool as we used to be. I don't know why you would, but they know. do. We'll get to all of that, plus empty news, uh, a lot of other news stories you didn't even know you needed to know about. 
but we're going to give them to you anyway. Plus, um, uh, of course, the headlines with Terry South. So let's start with the headlines, the, the news that probably does matter to you. Terry, what uh, what you got for us? Terrible news. Six people died in an RV awning manufacturer, Fiamma Inc., in uh, Orlando Monday when a disgruntled former employee shot five workers before turning the gun on himself. The shooter, 45-year-old man, had been fired from the company in April. The police have been called to the suspect previous on the suspect previously when he worked for the company over alleged assault of a co-worker in 2014. The uh, co-worker was not among the victims, that one that was in the 2014 situation. Police were summoned to the scene after a woman in the building ran to the tile store across the street to call 911 when the gunman told her she should go. Oh, terrifying. Police arrived at the building two minutes later. And uh, they, the quick response probably saved the lives of seven employees who walked away. The guy went in targeting certain people. He, he didn't did. shoot everyone randomly, just targeted certain people. Certain people. That, oh, uh, yeah. it's just tragic. Crazy news. That was that, that actually happened yesterday during the show, but no details. It was just sort of there was an incident going on. Other news, scientists have discovered a planet that's almost three times bigger than Jupiter. It's hotter than most stars in the solar system, and it sports a comet-like tail of gas. The planet, labeled Kelt B9, or 9B, <laughs> was first spotted by telescope when it was clipped uh, past its host star, which is twice as hot as the sun and resides some 650 light years away from Earth. Hold on, 650 light years? Yes. Ah, so it'll take a while. Yeah, so never. Kelt 9B is the hottest exoplanet ever discovered. And to make it even more fascinating, one side of the planet is always shrouded in darkness, while the other side is always being scorched with light. It doesn't rotate. That planet is hot. The dayside temperature on the uh, locked planet is estimated at 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so hot that we think there is no molecules that can live on the day side of the planet, says a uh, professor from Ohio State, whose team published their findings uh, last week. Wow. Yeah. They think that it's so hot. How hot is it? Right. That it will melt just the surface. Turns a, it actually makes the planet expand. So it's constantly it's like swelling. So yeah. it swells as big, you know, bigger than Jupiter. Uh-huh. But there's nothing substantial underneath it, and yeah. it'll eventually just evaporate. <gasps> it's so hot. That is hot. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, in other news, for the second year in a row, data scientist has topped the list for the best job in America based on earning potential job satisfaction and number of openings, according to a survey by Glassdoor Jobs and Technology. Continue to be the best, along with data scientists. The other jobs at the top of the list are DevOps Engineer, which is short for Software Development and Information Technology Operations. Okay, yeah. So a bunch of stuff. Data Engineer, Tax Manager, and Analytics Manager. You might be forgiven for not knowing exactly what some of those are. A lot of numbers in those. A lot of math. Yeah. And that's probably the... Uh, that's what, why they're what, hot. That's what they're, why they're hot, because they're paying you for your skill that a lot of people don't have. Five, ten years ago, tech jobs were all about web and mobile development, which is largely about coding, says the uh, people from Glassdoor. To be successful now, these data-focused roles, you have to have an analytical mindset. The median-based salary for these jobs hovers around 110000 a year. Most jobs in these fields wow. include sizable benefit packages as well. That's great. You just have to do math. You just have to know how to you know, work with the numbers. And finally, you can't rush a good McChicken sandwich. Yet mm. having to wait for one caused a fight between an impatient customer and an employee at a McDonald's in Des Moines, Iowa. The brawl might have been forgotten uh, if it were not for the uh, Amanda Gravely. 
an intrepid customer waiting for ice cream in the drive-thru. She watched as a blonde woman inside the restaurant became irate over not having her McChicken right away. Gravely started filming, and she finally received her sandwich and then promptly threw it in the employee's face. It just escalated so quickly, Gravely said. There were customers tumbling across the counter. Two men who were with her held employees back as she started pulling the other woman's hair, hitting her with her knee, all while her McChicken got cold on the floor. Before police could arrive, the customers took off. Authorities are now trying to identify everyone involved. There's one thing Gravely wants people to remember. Life is too short to get that mad over a chicken sandwich. Wow, really? And of course she was waiting in the drive-thru for ice cream. She was just trying to get ice cream. The ice cream machine was probably broken, and so it was going to be a long wait. There you go. It's, yeah. As somebody that hasn't been able to have a chicken sandwich for a while. Yeah. Life's too short. It's not worth fighting just over. Just move on. Just, yeah. And it's fast food, so the chicken label's kind of questionable, too. So Hey, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because some people think that I'm <clears throat> cheating. Because I'm, I'm supposed to have a low-fat diet. Um, let's say that I just put something in my mouth for a minute. Okay. To taste it. Mm. And then spit it out okay. before swallowing it. Right. Am I cheating? Did you consume it? I'm not sure. A little bit may have gone down my throat. But probably not enough to matter. Yeah. It didn't inflame my gallbladder. It's just a little chocolate. Like my wife is on a non-sugar bunch of other things diet. Yeah. She had a little piece of food, realized a mistake before she swallowed, spit it out. Hmm. And it's just, you know, contest in the office. So then it's like, did she just break the rules? Is she out? She's like, no, I didn't eat that. I didn't gain anything from it. I realized my mistake immediately and corrected it. But with her, it was a mistake. Matt is intentionally trying to skirt the system. Mm. Now, if you're like trying to, you know, take a bite of pizza, but I didn't swallow. No, I, I haven't had a bite of pizza, but I've definitely smelled a lot of it. And chicken. And you're, just... not, you're not eating it. It's not getting digested. It's, I mean, that's the whole problem with your... Mm-hmm. Is the digestion part, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's okay. not even happening. Good, You're cause, good. Because I thought that was close. You just say it's not digestion. This Back was off. chocolate, just a little bit of chocolate. And my wife is all over me. Like, if I say, I'm just going to have one of those donuts. Yeah, no. She's like, no. I didn't even get to celebrate donut day. Mm. Well. Sans donut. I'll tell you what. My <sighs> steak last night was really good. Mm, sounds like it. Thanks. Yeah. I have donuts as well. <laughs> You know what I want is a steak. I want good. I want a, a steak, a sweet, sweet potato. Okay. Uh, Anywho, um, so my wife and I went looking <laughs> for furniture the other day, and a buffet. We went for furniture, and we went uh, we went looking for couches, and then what it did is it opened up a huge can of worms. Because you can't choose your couches till we decide what color carpet we get, and we can't decide what color carpet till we decide if we're going to paint. Do you agree with this, or is this? Well, it, all I wanted was new couches. Gotcha. But we need to paint, and we need to get yeah. everything done. So now it's getting ugly. Then my son needs a new bed. Mm. So we tested beds, and can I just say they need? It's really embarrassing to test a bed. You know what I mean? It's kind of a personal thing. You kind of need to jump in and roll around a little bit, yeah. And I I don't sleep in my clothes, so I have to get in my jammies. (laughs) But um, Get your little stocking cap It's just weird sitting on the bed with your wife Mm. 
and then having like the guy sit on the bed with you and then give yeah. you the talk about the springs, it's how they're like all individually wrapped. When you go to the mattress store. Go yeah. ahead. Lay down. You're like, what? Uh, mm. Like, can you just give us a minute? Like, <laughs> we need to talk about this privately. But I found out that at the store, there was a $12,000 bed. Mm. And then I thought to myself, who sleeps on a $12,000 bed? That's ridiculous. Nobody needs a $12,000 bed. Then I tested it. Right. And I'm like, I want to buy a $12,000 bed. Is it the bed or the mattress? It's it's a mattress. You, the bed is just it, sort of it, the it's just It's all the mattress, but this is a mattress that pretty much does everything. It'll even sleep for you. Oh, wow. But you feel like you're you're literally in a cloud floating. Hmm. I mean, like I think I heard an airplane pass while I was nice. testing it. Yeah. Um, and it'll recline and set, sit up for you. It'll do everything for you. Um, but then – so I thought that was weird. Then I just found online on Inc. Magazine that you can buy a, a toilet that costs $10,000. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, sometimes you need music. No. No? That's not what it is. You can bring your own music. When, whenever they do that, it's like there's like, it's like got Bluetooth so you can you know sync your phone up to your toilet or something. I'm not sure. The, the website Toto okay. has a toilet that's worth $10,200. It's a Japanese manufacturer. The music oh. that you sync plays called, exclusively Roseanne in Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called NeoRest 750H Dual Flush Toilet. Ooh. Dual Flush? Uh, it's got a torni- tornado siphon jet flushing system. <laughs> wow. So it, not only is it a tornado, but it also is a siphon. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. It's got Actolite UV light cleaning system built in in the lid, so it, it that, self-cleans. That's high quality. Yeah, yeah. with UV. Yeah. Uh, it's got a backup manual flush if mm. if you like I guess lose power. <laughs> right. It's these got, are all plugged in. Yeah. This is one that I know Cole will like. It's got e water, which mists the bowl with electrolyzed water mm. to oh, reduce of cleaning. Yeah. It's heated. Oh. It's got a purifying system. <laughs> it's got a bidet. Oh yeah. With adjustable temperature, position, pressure, and direction control. Mm. And an automatic lid. So the ladies don't have to complain. <laughs> so uh, things you don't need. $10,000. Like Worth honestly, yeah. if people have $10,000 for a toilet, yeah. you know, you need to give to charity. Something because you're just throwing money away at that point. Yeah. Flushing it down the drain. But it would be a, a nice once in a lifetime experience probably. It's, but it seems dangerous too. Like It's like a spa pe- day. Do people have to like sign a – a, a disclaimer, waiver? a waiver when they go use it. The tornadic system, yeah. Look, I can't, I can't guarantee you won't be sucked into my tornado siphonic toilet. And I'm not sure I would even like the heated seat. It's always a little awkward when, yeah. when the seat's weird. a little warm when you sit down. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, What's going on? Yeah, seat these are, these are uh, exactly, if you have that much money, there's yeah. probably a better use for it because you don't need it. Well, and then what's going to just... happen when your kids go out into the real world and they're like, ooh, that seat is cold. Right. You know, just a normal toilet. You're setting your children up for failure. They won't even be able to go to the bathroom. Man. Anyway, man, first world problems, huh? Crazy stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about dads and uh, the book Dads Who Stay and Fight, How to Be a Hero for Your Family. The author, Greg Trimble, up next. Welcome back, friends. You know, Father's Day is coming up on June 18th. 
So we thought it would be the perfect time to talk about dads and uh, give you a little leg up so you can get ahead of the game, make sure you're focusing on getting your dad taken care of and and really celebrating what he's done for you. To to do that, we've asked Greg Trimble to join us from gregtrimble.com. Greg Trimble uh, is a writer. He writes about business, religion, and life. He founded a tech company, sold the company, and is now fully focused on building Yala, which is an online team uh, management system, and Lemonade Stand, which is an online marketing agency. And through all of this, he wrote a book. He's the author of a book, Dads Who Stay and Fight, and we're honored to have him on the show. Greg, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. What? How you doing? Good, great. Doing well. What? What's? Uh, what are you? What was the motivation? What makes a guy like you, Greg, who's really an entrepreneur, starting all these businesses, all these companies? Why? Why write a book about dads? Man, I think because of out of all those things, uh, I, actually, all those things are done in my mind in order to provide and uh, you know and to be a dad. I don't think any of those things would have much meaning to me if I wasn't uh, striving to do that. I mean, it really is the most important role we can play, I think, as, as a mom or a dad on this earth. And you, the name of the book, Dads Who Stay and Fight, How to Be a Hero for Your Family, what do you mean by dads who stay and fight? Yeah, so I think that uh, I think that men nowadays have have gotten sort of this this role and the media has played a, a huge role in that but it, it's kind of taken on this this role of of being the the late kind of like the the al bundy's is, is like the where when was that the 80s yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah you know, the guy that sits on the on the couch and you know does nothing and uh you know his wife is expected to do everything to to look perfect to to work, to take care of the kids, and the dad just kind of sits there, and we've gotten into this sort of complacent male figure role, <laughs> I think, in the world. And and there's just too many that, that leave. There's too many single moms. There's too many uh, women left in, in shambles and, and heartache. And so I – and then the kids. The kids are in the middle of it all, and, and there's – you know, I think in, in the beginning of the book, I – talk about some percentages and, and people that and the amount of people that are kids that are actually growing up without fathers in the homes. So. Yeah. And then and then, too, I mean, even having sometimes you can have a dad in the home that but it's the dad maybe is busy. The dad is preoccupied, not he's out working and not there a lot. So really, yeah. part, part of your book is about how to be a hero for your family. And uh, what I love is you, you touch on a lot of um, a lot of things I believe in strongly. One of the chapters I know in your book, you talk about dads who are emotionally intelligent. Um, talk yeah. about that. What do you mean by emotionally intelligent? We talk about it on the show a bit, but what do you mean, and uh, why does that make such a big difference? Yeah, so sometimes you, you hear dads get the the, uh, the label of, of being oblivious. <laughs> yeah. Being an oblivious parent, you know, you're just kind of, not keying into situations. I think um, being emotionally intelligent is, is somebody that can, can really read, you know, in the business world, you might say that they can read a room, but in your family that you can read, uh, you know, the thoughts and emotions and, and really dig into situations that you may need to get in there and, and address with both a son or a daughter, you know, and each, each of them are going to be different. And, and, and especially with your wife, you know, being able to read, 
the emotions on her face, the, the feelings, and, and try to try to get in there and and do something about it and make a better situation than, than sort of sit back and not do anything at all. Just be the <laughs> yeah the stone stone face, the rock in there. So. And, and being able to read the cues and see the, and, and I guess be a, an active part. We we uh, had a guest on a while ago that talked about, you know, dads more and more, they're becoming, they're, they're stepping up like they've never stepped up as far as taking care of child care and doing things that they've, they've um, they historically haven't been so involved in, bathing the kids, changing the kids, doing all of this. Yeah. And yet, and still there's there's the emotional side of it that I guess we're still learning as well, but part of what you're suggesting is it, it is learnable. Just keep working at it till you learn it. Yeah, totally, totally. Is you also bring up a point about um, dads who who take marriage advice? I I have a lot of um, people that come to my date nights and my events, and when I you can tell the guys that have been dragged there by their wives. But they they actually like learning. They they like learning what we're teaching, um, and so why do you sense that makes such a big difference? Uh, because traditionally you hear about guys kind of being stubborn, right? The, the guys that don't they never want to go to marriage counseling. They they don't want to take direction, you know, ask for directions. You get that sort of uh, trademark guy syndrome, I guess, and. Uh, and I think just being being open and being consistently uh, worried about improving your marriage rather than just going through the motions is, is something that's important, you know, especially for guys. Because I think women, they, I, I feel like they're always trying to work on things. You know, they, you know, they're trying to, they're willing to take advice. They're willing to to be open and listen. And sometimes you get guys that aren't willing to do that, and and then the marriage stays stagnant. You know, if you're not improving over time, so true. Do you um, do you notice as a writer um, and and somebody that's really involved in tech? I know, and because uh, you have a lot of kind of tech focused companies, and you sold a tech company. What do you what do you sense of this kind of new tech age? There's a lot of great blessings, a lot of great benefits that come from technology, and yet. Um, Boy, it complicates parenting in a way. I mean, there's some pretty cool things you can now do. Now you can track your kids, find out exactly where they are, <laughs> and you can even see what they're writing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do. But what do you yeah. think – what's the impact you think on being a dad and technology, and what's a special role that dads can have when it comes to getting their kids to effectively use technology? Oh, that's a great question. There's actually an entire chapter in the book called Dads you know, Dads and Technology – and uh, I think that technology can be – well, I know my kids are into it because I'm into it. Yeah. And they, they see me doing it, and they say, oh, man. And so actually a, a few Christmases ago, my kids got iPads. And we said, oh, yeah, you'll be able to use it for homework and things like that. And what we found – I'm I'm on my phone. I'm on my, my laptop and, and a lot of things. But a lot of the things that I'm doing on those things are, are actually creative um, and they're they're productive and they're they're contributory and but a lot of the things that kids are doing on there are are consuming they're they're consumptive things um, and that was a big thing that a lot of the tech CEOs the the 
the Steve Jobs and, and some of the, the founders of some of these tech companies of the, the very technology that we're using, they're actually talking about how they don't let their kids use their own technology that they've created be, because they're so aware of the addictive nature of it. And I, I remember watching my, my son would really get into it and he would play, you know, games and these apps and there's always a new app to download. And I would see him like kind of fixing his neck, you know, like it's like his <laughs> neck is hurt. Yeah. And, and the difference between the days that we grew up, you know, with Atari and Nintendo, you know, you only had a few games. You had to blow in the games to get them to work. If they didn't work, big deal. We go out and ride our bikes. But nowadays, uh, at least in California, I don't know how it is in Utah or other places, but at least in California, a lot of people aren't outside riding bikes or doing the, those things. No, right. And it's they sad. take their devices, and it's not like a, even like a video game, Nintendo or something, where you're playing with some friends, they'll take their iPads and they can go away by themselves and literally be gone for hours and hours and hours and never pick their head up. And I just think it's it's so addictive. I, I've watched it be addictive, and so we've actually t- taken any any iPads away from our kids and not you know not let them use them you know by themselves just because it's such a consuming consuming thing. Oh no, and I I think I think it's smart. And again, that's from a tech. That's from a guy that sold a tech company. Um, is it when you think about being a dad? I mean, there's there's just a lot of moments. Uh, just the other, an example, the other night I came home um, from shooting a video that I was shooting and I was tired. It was, uh, what was it? Friday night, I believe. And I'm exhausted. And uh, I get home, we're having dinner. My wife and I, I then, we get a call. My wife says, oh, our son just hit his head bouncing on a trampoline and bada boom, bada bing. <laughs> Next thing I yeah. know, we're spending three hours in an emergency room getting stitches. And wow. I, I sit there and I think, what a waste of a night. You know, <laughs> you're sitting there and <laughs> spending all this money. But part of it that was really interesting is it was three hours with my son in a moment where he was afraid, terrified at first, and uh, we were able to eventually calm him down and, and make it work. But, I mean, it's almost like those are the moments of parenting that are going to stand out, it seems like, down the road. Oh, yeah. Totally. And not something and, I wanted. Was, no, no, but it's those moments that they'll remember, I, I believe. Um, and that's pointed out there in the book that there was a guy that um, – you know, taking his son on vacations all over the place and, and everything. And he just said, he asked his son, you know, what was it that that stood out to you the most during childhood, you know, or, or during a vacation? It was just laying on the on the lawn, just talking to you, looking at the stars. And that caught, that literally costed nothing. I remember there's a story of Lindsay, about Lindsay Sterling in the book as well. She said that when they grew up, they had no money. Hmm. And uh, she was forced to be creative, and she said, you know, one of the things that she remembered the most about her dad, one of the things that she and memories she enjoyed the most was just eating a bowl of cereal with him on the on the living room floor. You know, <laughs> super 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 simple things that don't cost a lot of money. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to, you know, buy them their pony or or whatever it is. Just super super simple things. 
um, that that can make such an impact in a child's life and and cause them to, you know, remember you, uh, sort of leave a, leave a legacy, be a hero, yeah, and and inspire them to do great things. And then, like with Lindsey Serling, now uh, one of the biggest YouTube stars out there, and somehow has managed yeah. to figure out how to dance and play the violin. But I mean, really, yeah, that's I don't probably know how that works. I know I don't either. But that's some of that creativity that she probably learned by, you know, having a dad that has to make ends meet. Let's take a break. We're exactly. speaking with Greg Trimble. Um, you can go to his website, gregtrimble.com. Uh, he's a blogger, a writer, and has written the book "Dads Who Stay and Fight: How to Be a Hero for Your Family," setting you up with some ideas and some information about how to celebrate your dad. Um, come June 18th. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, folks. We are uh, talking about um, dads and the important role they play. We're talking about the book Dads Who Stay and Fight, How to Be a Hero for Your Family. And the book was written by Greg Trimble. Greg, uh, you can find out more about what he's doing at gregtrimble.com, T-R-I-M-B-L-E.com. And Greg uh, was a business owner, sold his business, and also now has started a couple of other businesses as well. He, um, But he loves writing and is the author of Dads Who Stay and Fight, and as well as a, a blog that you can find at uh, gregtrimble.com. Um, that, that I think opens up some pretty interesting discussions as well. One of them we'll talk about uh, is the importance and the role of women in our lives. But, Greg, thank you again for being with us. You bet, Matt. This um, – was it was – it, I mean, I guess when you love being a dad, this book was probably fairly easy to write. I mean, there's there's a lot of – there's a lot of stuff. You talk about dads who prioritize, dads who know how to invest, dads who discipline. In the book, you've got a lot of great chapters on uh, on areas where where dads can can be a powerful leader. How did you how did you gather the information, and where did the stories come from? Well, you, you were you're you're right. It was easy to write. It's a topic that is so uh, near and dear to me, and and it's just stories that have you know, since being a dad and from my own childhood that have impacted me so much that they were sort of just in my brain and I just brain dumped them onto paper and organized them. Yeah. <laughs> it was about 30 to 45 days that that thing was written in. So, um, it, it, yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, and starting to, when in writing my blog is where I, a lot of those things came into, to be. And, Honestly, Matt, you know, we, you don't know this, this is the first time we're talking and, but, but we have a very, uh, you have a very unique role in my writing of this book. Really? You have no idea that you do. What? Tell Uh, me, I'd love to know. Let me read something to you, actually. It's actually a chapter out of a book that's going to be launched in, uh, at Thanksgiving of this year. The book is called The Virtual Missionary, and it, it goes into talking about the origins of, of starting my blog and and how it picked up and caught fire and, and went viral um, over again. So check, check this out, Matt. This is super interesting. I think you'll find this interesting. Yeah. 
out of this chapter. It, it's a chapter on ego and, and other bloggers sort of competing with each other and trying to protect their turf and all that stuff. But here it goes. It says, just a couple of months after I had started writing my blog, I wrote an article on improving marriages. I was brand new to social media and brand new to blogging. I figured no one would read it because, well, who am I to give advice about marriage? I'd only been married for about eight years and still had a lot to learn. But I wrote from the heart, and oddly enough, those things resonated with a few people. When I actually published the blog, I could tell through Google Analytics that there were a few people reading it. I was surprised and happy to, ha to have struck a chord with a few readers. But then something crazy happened. I took a peek back at the real-time analytics for my blog, and it had gone viral. It had <laughs> shot up almost immediately. I couldn't figure it out. Where had all this random traffic come from? So I started digging around and found a BYU TV co-host by the name of Matt Townsend had shared this article I had posted about marriage to his 40,000-plus Facebook fans. I didn't know him. He didn't know me, and I was a virtually unknown blogger. But he was nice enough to share share that article so that others could read it. No way. I thought the article was good, so he shared it. He wasn't jealous that he didn't write it. He wasn't trying to, quote-unquote, protect his brand or take any credit for the work himself. He was simply sharing something that he felt would be valuable to his friends. He gave credit where credit was due. He wasn't worried about diluting the Internet with other online bloggers and content creators. He wasn't trying to protect his piece of Internet turf. He unselfishly knew that there was plenty of room for each of us on the Internet and that there's a need for more people to share more goodness. He had the respect and trust of, of a great many people, and so they listened to him. And because he shared this one article of mine, now they took what I had written seriously. This was an act of a man who cared about helping others, not someone who was in it for themselves. Oh, that's so, cool. Wow! If you look at if you look at you you don't realize that yeah that, that happened about three years ago. My blog had had nothing. I mean, I, I just wrote, and for some reason, you had seen it and shared it, and that was one of the uh, and, and that blog was about marriage. It was I think it was some five ways to make your marriage rock or something yeah. like that. That's and awesome. a lot of those principles became the foundation for what's actually in this book and many other blogs that I've written since on, and that blog has just, I mean, it's been in the last three years or so, it's been viewed over 7 million times or That's so amazing. throughout the world and, and changed a lot of lives. And if you could see the messages and so you can give yourself a pat on the back. No, that's huge <laughs> because you really don't, We and we do that all the time. And I, I never, I don't think of that impact. Um, I just, yeah, I, I want to get the message out. In fact, that's how we found you again was I, uh, I found another blog or two that you've written, um, one that I wanted to ask you about, which is um, women. And in fact, I'm trying to pull up your blog right here. Women and uh, there's a there's a restaurant chain that is has kind of been objectifying women uh, in how they eat a hamburger. Um, and you wrote, you wrote, uh, you wrote an entire blog entry about Carl's Jr. Talk about that. What made you get onto that topic? Well, in the blog, it, in that blog, it talks about my wife. Well, I mean, that that chain, you know, Carl's Juniors, they've been known for, uh, and Hardee's, they've they've just been known for the just horrendous commercials, uh, at least for for people that are offended by that sort of thing. Um, where women have just been objectified. The, the commercials had nothing to do with food. 
And it kind of came to the, the reason I wrote about it is kind of came to a point because my my wife and kids I weren't I wasn't actually there at this restaurant but my wife and kids were at a restaurant and it was actually sort of a kids restaurant yeah and they, there were things on the TV where they were good for kids and then a commercial comes on and my wife described it to me and she said my kids were sitting there just staring at the TV and I like I didn't know what to do and it was just the most horrendous. I got a daughter and I got a son, so the daughter's looking at the way these women are acting, and my son's looking at it like, "What am I supposed to do? What is this good or bad? What is it?" And um, and so she had to teach him, and so I just I was sort of fed up, and so I wrote about it, um, starting out with I used to eat Carl's Jr. all the time. There's a place near Trestles Beach where I would surf all the time. There's a Carl's Jr. right there, and it was just I loved it, and it's right by my office. I'd eat all the time, and then. I was like, you know what? I just, I just don't want to support that anymore. You know, if that's the way they're going to be and, and market that way. And yeah. so, um, you know, I wrote the blog, and that went, it went just crazy. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people just immediately jumped on board, and the, they, it set off sort of a tweet storm where there were thousands upon thousands of people. There was an embedded tweet inside the blog that says. Uh, although I think the tweet said, love your food, hate the commercials at Carl's Jr. So attack every time somebody tweeted that it tagged them. And so I know that my, my Twitter notification feed was just blowing up, which huh. means theirs would have to as well because their Twitter handles being mentioned over and over again. And, and there were just hundreds and thousands of people that just sort of jumped on this, <clears throat> you know, this sort of this boycotting of this, of this sort of marketing and uh funny enough you know they've <laughs> they changed, changed. There. and i don't know if it's i can't take credit for you know that kind of impact but it was it was significant and i'm sure there's been i know there's other groups and people that have but they just admitted that that that, that marketing is not working for them anymore and so you you got to give people a hand for for sort of standing up for principles. Well, there's a good there's a good chapter for you, dads, and I mean it is actually in the book, uh, but dads who start a revolution. <laughs> I mean the reality yeah. is all, sometimes all you need to do is is take a stand or or make a comment and do it yeah. the way you did it by writing a blog entry and getting it out there. I mean others can do other things. Yeah, totally. Is I, yeah. I mean I guess that's the key to this is every every dad's going to be different every person will be different um we i guess we just need to figure out what kind of dad we want to be and then start working for it no doubt no doubt and for me it's it that's everything i mean it doesn't matter how much money you make at the end of the day it doesn't matter how many accolades how important you are in the eyes of the world it's it's when you lay your head down on that pillow and your and your family surrounds you, and you, the only thing you're going to care about was, does my wife and kids love me and respect me, and did I leave a legacy to them? Not did I leave a, a bunch of money to them, not did I leave assets to them, and it's going to be, do they love me and respect me, and are they going to revere me, you know, as I move on? Yeah, no, that's great stuff. Well, Greg, uh, it's an honor talking to you. I'm glad uh, we've connected before as well. I didn't know that, and I look forward to the future connecting so much more with you. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Matt. You bet. It's been great. You bet. Everybody, go check out his website, gregtrimble.com. And the book, Great or uh, Dads Who Stay and Fight, How to Be a Hero for Your Family, uh, probably a really good opportunity to get your dad a book. Um, all the many things that dads are valuable for and bring to all of us. Make sure you are planning ahead. We're giving you a head, you know, a heads up. You've got till the 18th to get the present that would be ideal for dad. And maybe what might be most important for your father is just a letter a card telling him how you really feel about him and the change that he made in your life. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, Dad's there's a lot of research. We talk about it on the show a lot uh, through the years, over the years, about the the role that a dad plays in the life of their children. And a lot of the things we do might irritate mom a bit, right? Like, why do we always overstimulate the kids at night? But uh, one of my favorite learnings about the power of what a father does is um, is about emotional intelligence. Fathers tend to, as we are a little more rough with the kids, as we push them a little harder, the research shows that we help children learn to emotionally regulate. You may notice that sometimes dads push so hard on their kids that they end up making them cry. They end up causing you know, the breakdown of the child. But part of what we are um, looking for as, as, a, as a father really is – and we're not doing it intentionally, but we we have a valuable role to play. If I can get my child to manage their their moments in life when they get overstimulated and learn how to bring down that state of stimulation so that they don't react and become out of control and overreactive, which a father helps their child do, according to research, then that child will be more emotionally uh, able to deal with the trials of of reactivity in the future. Dads make a big difference there. And it's a very simple thing in just how we play. It's a simple thing in how we sometimes allow the child to do riskier things than maybe mom might allow. It's powerful. And so be really careful when you're thinking about fathers and uh, assuming that your child doesn't need a father or a male role model. Um, There is something too, I think, that's a little different about a dad that will, you know, aggressively play and wrestle with the kids. And, and like, I don't know that I would necessarily wrestle with my kids' friends as a dad, but with my kids, we wrestle and we, we do stuff and we play ball and we test each other and I push the limits. And so don't ever underestimate the power of a father. And again, if you don't have uh, if you're, you know, if your your child's father's not in the home, find ways to still have male role models around to still get people in the neighborhood in the community. Um, my parents, because they were divorced, my dad didn't live in the home, but I saw my dad almost every day, so I received a lot of influence from him growing up. But I also got to see other people's fathers and friends of mine and their fathers would watch out for me. They would make sure that I would go to the camping trips. They'd make sure that I would do the things with our church group. And honestly, one of the greatest examples for me of a father was 
um, uh, one of my church leaders, a, a young men's leader that was over the youth of the of our ward, our, our church group, and he ended up being the guy that got in my head that I'm going to school. I did not know that I could go to college. None of my sisters at the time uh, really had gone to college. Actually, one of them started going to college and um, she was just finishing when I was hearing this from my my leaders. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go to college? Like, I did not know that I could do that. And I doubted my ability to do that until a man, an adult male that was responsible for watching over me and my church group said, no, 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 you're for sure going to college. Yeah, I mean, that's just what you do. And he just set the expectation. So whether whether it's your own father or it's someone else's, gentlemen, we got to pick up our game. Kids need us. We've got to we've got to be home. We can't just you know have children and then not be there. We've got to find a way to raise and be a part of the lives of our children and our children's friends. One of my favorite ways I've ever found to influence my sons, so I have a daughter and five boys, is by influencing their friends. If I can, when I get them in the car with me, I'm going to get to know these kids. I am going to influence their lives positively so that they know that they can eventually come talk to me if they need to. I'm going to be there for them one way or another. And so I just challenge all of us Let's not just make Father's Day that's on the 18th something we only celebrate on the 18th. You've got a you've got a couple weeks to be taking care of your dads, talking about dads. Hey dads, you've got a couple weeks to be stepping up and picking up your game so that we can make a difference. That's what this is about, being the good in the world. We'll take a break. We'll be back one more hour straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can every day to give you a leg up in life. Today we'll be talking about why you need to hydrate. You got to keep the water flowing with our health evangelist. So it's hot. All across the nation, it's getting hot. It's getting hot. Drink some water, people. Yeah. You got to stay hydrated. And like I I gave up pretty – Not. I mean I'm not – I don't ever – I'm moderation now. But I don't drink the carbonated stuff much anymore. Like once a week. Mm. But now I drink a lot of water. And I used to hate it. Now I just tolerate it because I know it's good for me. Right. But it, you'd think I'd feel a ton better. See, and I'll act superior and be like, yeah, I only drink it on the weekends. Right? Yeah. But it starts on like Thursday. Well, it's a long weekend. It's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then it's <laughs> cut, you know, cold turkey Monday, no yeah. more. Then, then you're off it again. And then, I, then I feel good. Then I'm like, well, it's only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. And then you're back on Thursday. I mean, so it's like three. It's amazing how much money you save when you just drink water. But I'm still drinking a, at least a gallon of water a day on top really? of wow. like, if I'm drinking carbonation too. I don't, I don't see that as, well, I'm drinking water. I'm you're, drinking liquid. No, I'm, I still drink a gallon of water a day. Good job. Yeah. Your kidneys, I'm sure, are firing like crazy. Yeah, they're strong. 
You got Lots some strong kidneys. <laughs> hey, speaking of strong kidneys, it's yo-yo day. Yeah, that was that was great. You, we're working on transitions. Yeah, here transitions on the, show. on the show. They're just they're not as they're a lot harder than people think they are. Uh, yo-yo day is the day we celebrate Sir uh, 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 Donald Duncan. Have you heard of him? It's his birthday. He was the famous entrepreneur of the Duncan yo-yo. In the 1930s, he got the yo-yo business flying. Yo-yos have been around for 2,000 years and were known under a different name, such as quizzes, bandolores, um, and other names. Hmm. So now we just call it a yo-yo. Never got really good at it, but it was, I think, one of the original fidget toys. Did you know that Boppet... Had a Boppet yo-yo once. Boppet, the company? Like, well, the so brand or there the were all game? kinds of Boppet. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the game. And it was a Boppet yo-yo. And so oh, really? it would be Boppet, so there was a button on the yo-yo. And then there was like a yo-yo it or whatever where oh, you oh, and it, go tell down. You yo-yo yeah, it. you yo-yo. Yo-yo And it. then there was a third thing that I also – but I played this because I loved the Boppet. You so loved my parents them. got me all things of Boppet yeah. when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah, I, yo-yo was one of them. That explains a lot. I mean, really. My brother got my son a Boppet. Now I – Dislike my brother more. <laughs> mm-hmm. What a great game annoying. that is! Pull it, yeah. throw it, Twist spin it. it, hit it, bonk your kid over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty violent. Yeah. My kid makes it about three, and he's done. Well, then you have like then you know there's the anxious kids that start getting really anxious and have breakdowns. Yeah, <laughs> this is too much pressure. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's Boy. really tense. See, that's how I can perform under pressure. Then that's nice. why I'm such a no, good you, asset. No, to you the are. Matt a, you're a great show. asset. Mm-hmm. Under pressure, I don't think we have anyone that works better under pressure than Cole. Mm. Like, we don't. You and I fall apart. Pretty much. It's just too much. But we try to keep the show pretty laid back so that the pressure's down. Yeah. And we know our strengths. What we like to do is just absolutely lower all expectations of the show. Yeah. And then amazing (laughs) things seem to happen. Today we're going to be talking. We've got a lot of uh, interesting news to get into, including the bars. You've got to watch out for bears. Because they're they apparently a lot of bears trying to get into cars lately. So we'll we'll get to a bear. I saw one last night. It was a bear cub in the back of somebody's car. They called the police. The guy, the policeman, came up, opened the door, took a picture of the bear cub, and then stood back, and let it run away. Yeah, and, and kind of looked around at everyone like, why don't you just open the door? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you just open the door? Duh. Yeah. Come on. We'll talk about a young man's uh, barbecue. Uh, he wants to do a barbecue for his dad for the Father's Weekend or for Father's Day weekend, and uh, we'll, we'll get into some interesting stuff about that. We really need to have a lot of ideas coming up over the next few weeks about Father's Day. What about it? Well, just because it's coming up, and you don't want to just go end up buying your just dad. Buy him a card, right? No, no. You really need to think. You don't want to just buy him something cheesy or silly. Mm. You don't want to buy him like a talking head of a fish. That... No, no, no. Gift card. You're done. Eh. I mean, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe go a little deeper. Like, think about it. Maybe write him a card. A gift card to a restaurant. There you go. Yeah. Dinner dinner and and, and an evening with not me. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to spend time with me. I mean, yeah, he does. Are you sure? Your father loves you. He wants to spend time with you. (laughs) And if you maybe if you took him to the restaurant. Yeah. That'd be great. Maybe. I'm just giving you ideas. But your mom called and she says, let's really get Terry on this one this year. I usually send them on a date. Do you? Yeah. 
Well, Sit mom and dad on a date. I know, but that would be date. great for Valentine's Day. You can do that for Valentine's Day. But for Father's Day. No, for Valentine's Day, I have my Valentine. I don't do stuff for my parents on Valentine's okay. Day. You got to get your holidays straight here. Well, That's I'd, like celebrating their anniversary. Yeah, but for Father's Day, <laughs> you send your father on a Valentine's date. No, I send him on a date with my mom. I know. So you send him on a date, but yeah. that's not what Father's Day is about. I appreciate him. Here, I'll pay for dinner. You should go in there. You you sit by his uh, knee. Nah. You tell him a story. Dad, thanks for. You give him lots of hugs. He usually looks blank, kind of a blank stare when I get into my stories. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of people do that. <laughs> hey, by the way, Jeff Simpson's still gone. He'll be gone all week, uh, taking care of his brand new baby. If you didn't hear, well. He'll be assisting the others who are taking care of the baby. No, D- Jeff will be as a very hands-on father. Well, I mean, you to you, the degree that they let him near the child. Yeah, there you go. They will. He'll be taking care of his cute little baby. We'll uh, we'll continue um, also talking about other empty news information that you didn't even know you needed to know, but we're bringing it to you anyway. Plus, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We'll give you the hero of the day as well. All of that straight ahead. But first. To Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Big story in food processing, Matt. What? Food processing. And what could be the largest defamation suit in U.S. history? Beef Products, Inc., known as BPI, is having its day in court after claiming the company lost revenue over an ABC News investigation investigative report that described its product as pink slime. Remember pink yeah, slime? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we had a whole story about it. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal reports that the 12-person jury heard opening statements Monday in South Dakota, at South Dakota as BPI makes the case against ABC and reporter Jim Avila, Av- Avila for suggesting that BPI's product was not beef or meat and had little or no nutritional value and was not safe to eat. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the original report aired in 2012 and was titled Pink Slime Meat Investigation. Do you know what's in your food? It's centered around BPI's lean, finely textured beef, or they they give it the acronym of LFTP product. The fact they do that, does that question if it's food? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so they, they questioned it. It was approved by the Department of Agriculture, but was called out by indi- an industry whistleblower. Though LFTP was dubbed by the USDA microbiologist as pink slime, family-owned beef products claims that ABC used the term to smear the company, causing clients to cancel orders and sales to drop so drastically the company was forced to lay off 700 employees and close three of its four processing plants. A new state f- uh, food... A new state food disparagement law in South Dakota allows plaintiffs to triple damages. So their original $1.9 billion complaint could end up being, if ABC loses a $6 billion in fines. Wow. Now, you know, with appeals and stuff, stuff gets trimmed down, but still $6 billion over pink slime. Which, whatever they say here, I'm still going to question whether it is food or not. Absolutely. There's so much stuff that was in it that well, didn't qualify as food. And right. they call it they call it leanly fine textured beef. Yeah. Not food. I kind of miss the stuff. Yeah, I know. Oh, uh. the U.S. extended its deadline to reach a deal with Mexico and talks over sugar as the two countries near an agreement that would prevent a tit-for-tat trade dispute, a U.S. 
uh, pledge to suspend uh, duty or suspend duties on imports of Mexican sugar was due to expire at the end of Monday, but the Commerce Department said that in a statement that the deadline will be extended by a day to complete the final technical consultations. The two sides have come together in quite a meaningful way, but there remain a few t- uh, technical details to work out, says U.S. Commons Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. We are quite optimistic that the two nations will get together. So basically, it looks like sugar will be saved, Matt. Woo. We won't lose the sugar that's imported yes. from Mexico. I mean, we still have Hawaiian sugar cane, California. Right. We have right. Idaho beets. Yeah, but yeah. we'll still have the Mexican sugar to make candy and okay, good. all that Oof. wonderful stuff. University of Arizona study found that a form of rock climbing eased depression symptoms in participants from moderate to mild, mild levels after eight weeks. The sport known as uh, bouldering, which doesn't use ropes or harnesses, combines physical activity and self-sufficiency, both which have been shown to be beneficial in combating depression, researchers say. Really? That's great. So they put a bunch of people through the, the course. People, their happiness improved, I guess? Well, sure, because you're setting a goal. You're challenging yourself. No. You have somebody holding you in case you fall. Besides the sport's strong mental components, the... Uh, Researcher notes people of all levels of physical health are able to participate. They say it's a very mindful sport because you have to you have no ropes. You have to make sure you're not oh. gonna fall, right? Yeah. So and then you achieve things. That's and, great. Yeah. It's where I'll be going once the show's done. Really? Go rock climbing be careful. a couple times a week. Do you really? That's good. That's why you're not depressed. And finally, first there was seven eleven in South Boston. Now there is a six twelve. Oh wow! Yeah, a South Boston man was so upset with Seven Eleven that he uh, that he opened in his own he own store across the street. <laughs> Abu Musa once owned the Seven Eleven franchise across the street, but got mad over the parent company's practices. Musa says he wanted to pull the hot food from its Seven Eleven because it didn't sell, but the company wouldn't let him. He eventually lost his franchise and settled out of court for undisclosed amount of money. Now he opened his own store, Six Twelve. Right across the street. Yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, whatever, whenever they want, they can bring into the store, and we have no option, no choice but to accept it, he said, because they said you have signed this paperwork. Half of the customers at his new store are ones from his 7-Eleven days who heard about a store across the street and wanted to support him. Plus 612, that means you've got two more hours that you can just hang out there. There you go. Wow, what a great – that's right there, Entrepreneur, entrepreneurism. Right. No hot food, though. Well – Go over. There's no churro. Pick up your hot there's food no hot at 7-Eleven. <laughs> then come over and get a slushy. He has like slushy and what chips? Is that yeah. candy bars? Donuts. Yeah, yeah. Really high, really expensive, like small boxes of soap. He might have a pink slime product or sugar from Mexico. Absolutely. See, here's the problem, and you brought up a great point. Mm. When we read, I do often. Go on. Mm, when you read um, the news or when you read, like, the fine print of what is in any of our food, we, we get a little worried. Yes. Because all of a sudden you're like, green or pink slime. Mm. Why do we need that? Right. With all these acronyms. But what if we went in and found out what is in a cherry? Like, what, do you, what would you say is in a strawberry? If you look at the ingredients, it would probably yeah. say strawberry. That's what you think, huh? Yeah. But they they say um, uh, a school teacher from Haleybury in Australia has created an ingredients list for raw foods that have not been processed. Mm. And the list contains as many as 50 different chemicals. 
And the chemicals sound scary, mm-hmm. but they're just the chemicals that are found in a strawberry. Right. So there's chemicals in a strawberry. Mm-hmm. It's not just strawberry goodness. It's not just yum yumness. Okay. It's not just mmm. It's they contain acids. Uh, they but contain it said, it said preservatives. Organic. It said organic on the container. Yeah. What are you saying, Matt? Hexodecanoic acid, 6% right. in a strawberry. Sucrose, 9%, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, agua, aqua, 90%. Fructose, 50%. Glucose, 41%. Sucrose, 9%. Fiber, 2%. See, these are all good things, right? Those are all the good things. Omega fatty acids, list of acids. Hmm. Amino acids, list of acids. Preservatives, colors. Not weird. All in a strawberry. And a cherry. So what can you eat anymore? Fruit. I don't know. Fruit? That's why sometimes you don't want to know what's in it. Just eat the strawberry. It's good for you. Sure, it contains 30 acids, but they're natural. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Slim Jim, different. <laughs> it's just different. It's only 1% beef. It's, <laughs> it's brown, brown meat. Anyway, um, it sounds terrifying, some of these chemicals in cherries, for example, but you know what? They're not. They're just, they're just cherries. Hmm. So relax, everybody. We don't need every chemical listed in everything. I mean, it makes sense, you know, in a candy bar. Yeah. What if you're allergic to nuts? You need to know if there's nuts in there. Right. But maybe we just need to get rid of all of the really scary names and make up better names. So then it's not as scary to eat a cheeseburger. The less you know. Yeah. (laughs) Just know. So that's your solution. No less. I just think what we ought to do is let's not list the chemicals in a banana. Well, I mean, there's a point where you have just the way the food grows. Ah, see, now you're you're thinking like an old school person. Yeah. But when you start like – It came from a tree. It's all good. When you go into a lab and create food, then we kind of need to know what you're doing When you start growing it from a Petri dish, that's a different thing. Anyway, I've got – we'll put it up on the – we'll put it up on our Twitter page. If you want to know what's inside a natural peach, did you know that a natural peach is 15% fructose, 20% glucose, 48% sucrose? It's really sweet when you eat one. So yeah, it's lots of sugar. 1% maltose. What's maltose? No idea. Really? Do you know what galactose is? It's like Battlestar Galactose. Interstellar sugar. Yeah, comes from another planet. That's good sugar, though. Anyway, don't worry about it. We'll list those for you. So if you really <laughs> care to go look at any of that, you can. Um, today again, we're gonna we'll take a break. Come back. Our our health evangelist will be joining us. Ron Hager, right here from BYU, is going to walk us through why we need to drink water. I always tell him, I keep, I, I swear he told me we need to drink our calories, and then I'm, I'm pretty sure he said you don't drink your calories, but, so what are we supposed to drink? Just water? Huh. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. That is the beautiful music for our next guest. Dr. Ron Hager joins us. He's our health evangelist. 
here to help us be uh, healthier and also uh, to die at a later date instead of a sooner date, an earlier date. That's you're, you're the what do we call you? The death preventer. Yeah, only to a certain extent, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody is going to. Yeah, everybody's got a time. Yeah, the, the, the thing you want to do, though, is, you know, you want you and I guess death as far apart as possible. Yeah. There's no need to. There's no need to meet him too early. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, and what you've always taught us is you're in charge. What I love about how you teach. By the way, Ron's an associate professor of exercise sciences here at BYU, and uh, you teach us that this is our life. These are our world. This is our food. This is our body. You're in charge of it. Start being in charge of it. Yeah, own it. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think. I mean, I think that's the best concept. You know, if look if. If 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 one size fits all in anything worked, yeah, then we wouldn't be where we are today in right. terms of our health. Right. You know, the health of our of our nation, the health of our world. We wouldn't, we, we, you know, we wouldn't be there because uh, people would take the time to put in the effort to do the research. Uh, you know, you just talked about this idea of you know some research showed that you know bouldering helps people feel better about yeah. themselves, decreases depression. Well. That's because somebody went out and did something. They right? went and bouldered and, and, yeah, and it, it, did it, some research. Yeah, yeah. They, but, but what I'm saying is even the people who experienced the, you know, the positive effects of doing this activity, they, 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 they didn't just read about it. They didn't just think about it. Mm-hmm. They just did, didn't just watch a YouTube video on it. They actually went out. They had to be engaged. They had to do it. And quite frankly, uh, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if you could do a study too and figure out that uh, – bouldering specifically might actually increase depressive symptoms in some people. Yeah. I, I'm sure – I'm sure you can. I'm Certain sure, I'm people sure that, do that don't want the challenge. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Or they or they just – it's just not something they like or enjoy or something they're not interested right. in or whatever. So so the key, Matt, is you, you've got to figure this out. Yeah. And and you ultimately have to be responsible. And and you know what? In my experience, as as I've worked with people – and tried to get them to assume responsibility, uh, they change. And they, they don't do one-size-fits-all. They, they, they work hard. They study. Uh, maybe they even pray. You know, they want to find out what the right answers are for them. And, and, and they increase their self-esteem. And they, they increase their sense of responsibility and ownership for their own decisions. Hmm. You know, they, they don't turn it over to the healthcare system or they don't turn it over to some other expert. I'm not saying that you can't learn right. from the experts and and from maybe a healthcare practitioner. Certainly, you can, but you you have to you have to do what you need to do. You um you heard us doing talking about the fact that uh, now somebody's broken down all the chemicals that you can find <laughs> in every fruit, and there's a lot of chemistry involved. And you make a really good point off air. You made a great point that. Our bodies are all chemicals. Sure. I mean, our I'm, food is all chemical, whether <laughs> it's made on a tree or whether it's made in a factory. It's about chemistry. Yeah, sure. Certainly. So we got to be careful what chemicals we introduce to our chemical body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's always been, you know, you hear these phrases, you know, that are sometimes termed oxymorons. Yeah. And, you know, food manufacturing has always been kind of an <laughs> yeah. oxymoron to me. Since, since when do we need to manufacture our food? I mean, I've heard of things like, you know, automobile yeah. manufacturing. Oh, absolutely. But that's because you can't go out and find in nature an automobile. They just don't grow on trees. Right. You know, and you can't, you know, you can't grow them in your garden yeah. or whatever. 
Um, iPhone, a phone manufacturer, sure. Right, but food manufacturing? Right. It's kind of an interesting term. If you really really pause and think about it, it's like, whoa, since when did my food have to be, you know, generated, created, put together? Oh, yeah. But, and and so one of the things, if we are a chemical body, if our body is all about chemistry, I mean, I learned enough about pH balances. I mean, your body has to have a balance of chemistry or it'll start turning on itself. It'll start eating itself or not taking advantage of everything. So how do we... And don't say water. <laughs> and I actually, I do, I do, I'm now liking water more and more. But it, it, we're so used to having so many other choices that water becomes the last choice when it probably needs to be the first and really major choice, the sure. constant choice. Sure. You know, you know it's interesting because uh, do you know what pure water tastes like? No. Nobody does. Because it has yeah. no taste, it has it no it has like, no smell, yeah. it has no odor, it has no color. So, so pure water is kind of an interesting thing, um, which I guess is maybe why some people like, you know, to put fruit in their water. Mm-hmm. I've even know, I know people who put vegetables in their water. You know, they really cucumber. Yeah, cucumber. Yeah. I can't drink my water unless it tastes like a plastic bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's one reason people struggle to drink water is because it it does. It, it does nothing for you in terms of your senses, right? You know, like your sense of taste, your sense of smell. Well, if you drink you know, fruit kind of punch and then you want to get people to drink water, right? It doesn't have the same <laughs> punch. Punch. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, there's no question that water is important, and uh, why? You know, you'd have to think that. Uh, I, I, I don't know how far we need to go back, but let's just say we go back, you know, 500 years. Uh, my guess is that water was probably the most consumed beverage. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. And and today, I don't – I'm pretty sure it's not because uh, there's so many alternatives. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's true. You know, I mean, I, my guess is soda is probably the number one liquid that's consumed. consumed. Yeah, uh, today. And I'm, I'm sure I could look that up and, you know, find out the details on that. But, uh, you know, people are mostly water. You know, you're, right. you know, we talked about what you're made of, what, and, and you talked about what like a peach is made of or what a strawberry is made of. And one of the things I heard you say was that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, 92% water. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so fruits and vegetables um, and, uh, and even human beings are uh, a lot, you know, they're, they're made up of a lot of water. So people, uh, animals, plants, they're mostly water inside. Not, not necessarily all plants, but most animals are. Um, it, it's the primary... You know, water is the the primary fluid in your body, obviously, which makes it, uh, you know, the primary component of your blood. Uh, so your blood is even mostly. That's what uh, they do. The minute you go water. into an emergency room, they immediately hook you up to an IV. To make sure you're getting uh, enough uh, volume. Yeah, uh, you to know, keep your pressure up. To keep your pressure up and those kinds of things. Uh, water um, helps regulate temperature in your body. Hmm, you know, true. If you ever, you know go outside on a hot day or, you know, do something in the yard, you know, you start sweating. And not not everything in sweat is water, but most of it is water. So water helps regulate your temperature as as the, the main circulating component in your blood. Obviously, it helps with the transport of nutrients right. and, and helps eliminate uh, toxins and byproducts of metabolism, uh, those kinds of things. Um, it's, uh, and, and it is, even though we probably don't drink enough water. It's still the main part of most of the things we drink. 
Oh, sure. I so, mean, really, yeah. Every other thing you drink is, is still dom- predominantly water. Sure. Yeah, but you know, when you start consuming those other things too, especially things like fruit juices, um, you know, it may or may not actually have fruit juice in it. It might just have some chemical flavoring yeah. in it. But um, but it also, not always, but it, it can be very calorically dense. You know, so it, it, it can add a lot of calories. And, and by the way, the water content uh, or the, the the calorie content of water yeah. is zero. Water is diet. It's diet water. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I love diet water. Yeah, diet water. That, you know, you ought to ask for that sometime. Like you go to a restaurant and they say, can I start you out with something to drink? Most people, yeah. a lot, well, I don't know if most, but a lot of people will say, I'll just have water with a lemon in it. You should try that yeah. sometimes. Say and and make make sure it's diet water. Yeah, give me some diet water. I'd just like to see what the with some water rocks. What, please. The, what the look on her face is, <laughs> or her, his face when they that's great. Take your order. So so the question then is, how much should we drink? And you've probably heard, uh, as most people have, you know, recommendations for how many cups of yeah. water you should drink every day. And uh, the general recommendation is somewhere around six to eight cups a day. Uh, but that that may or may not hold true. So here we go again with you know what's the number? What right. what what is it that you need? Uh, because there is no one size fits all, and I've I've said that I don't know how many times, but I'm saying it again. Um, but you know you can like I said you can get significant amounts of water from eating fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and so that may actually uh, offset the uh, the amount of water you literally need to drink. Now I'm not I'm not saying. You know, you should look for opportunities to not drink water, but but like a diet. Uh, one of the problems with diet beverages for me is caffeine is a diuretic, right? So that then tends to flush the water from your system. Yeah. So you really are dehydrating yourself. Yeah, you could be. Same same, same kinds of effects occur with alcohol. Yeah. Even though most of alcohol is water. Not amazing. Uh, most 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 alcoholic. Beverages it's trying to get the water out of you, which is really, I guess, a universal sign. It probably isn't. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, if you're mostly water, we need to keep as much of that in yeah. us as we can. In fact, one of the recommendations I've heard for people who do drink alcohol, uh, you know, I, I suppose especially if you're like a moderate, you know, or social type uh, drinker is uh, to have water, uh, like just literally water in between each drink. Mm. I've, uh, I've heard, read that it, uh, you know, uh, prevents hangovers yeah. that, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it slows you down probably. Yeah, yeah, it slows you down so you don't drink as much. And the, the bartenders same, hate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't make as much money or get as, as big a tips when they just hand sure. you water. Um, now, there's some other things to consider too. Um, as I've mentioned, I've said this to you before and you've already mentioned it, you know, that drinking your calories uh, is a great way to, you know, overconsume calories. Right. Uh, you know, you can you can drink a an 8-ounce glass of orange juice uh, and not feel as full as if you just ate one orange. You may as well eat the orange. And the orange has a fraction of the calories, but it also contains so many of the other things that you would get that you probably wouldn't get. Yeah, like the in a fiber. Glass of orange and, yeah. Juice. yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I still hold to that recommendation to be very careful about you know drinking uh, your calories. Um, but uh, in, in terms of weight loss, there have been numerous studies that have been done to show that. People who drink more rather than less water tend to have more success losing weight yeah. and maintaining the weight loss, which really is the key. Uh, you know, a lot of people I heard, uh, I read a quote once from Irma Bombeck that said something like, I've, um, you know, I, I, it, it, I've been on a diet for the last 25 years. I've lost a total of 785 pounds. 
you know, so yeah. what, what she's talking about is this weight cycling, lose it, gain it, lose it, yeah. gain it. So, you know, for, for many, the problem is not losing it. The problem is keeping it off keeping once it you've off. lost it. And, well, and, and water can help with that. And I've been on a, I've been on a liquid diet and um, the problem is because I wasn't eating food, it was just easy to make a smoothie. But then the smoothie just becomes high caloric right. drink really for yeah. me. And so then I'm just – I'm noticing I'm just drinking juices, yeah. which is – not sustaining me either. And right. so it's a it's a weird battle. Uh, we got to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, the health evangelist here on the BYU show, or the Matt Townsend show at BYU Radio. We'll come back, continue the journey, how to get more water into your body and the other benefits of water, why we should be drinking so much. Um, it you know, it does a body good. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. I do believe Dr. Ron Hager is in the house. Uh, He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His expertise is chronic disease prevention. He is our health evangelist today. He's talking about we need to drink more water, basically. They say milk, it does a body good. Sure. But water is... Does a body even gooder. Even even gooder. (laughs) Water is what makes it all work. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the points I want to make too is that as people get older, they actually tend to cut down on drinking water. It's work. It's work to drink your f- eight glasses. So again, like you don't give a number. Right. It, everybody's different. But I was on a fast yesterday for this procedure I was having, and when you can't drink anything, then you really notice. It, then don't you, you really notice it, and then when you're coming off of that. Like I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't stomach the idea of drinking juice. Right, it's just too, it's too much, too, too concentrated. Yeah. Or it's almost too, like your body knows too, too rich. Yeah. yeah, you know that that's a that's an absolutely great point. Uh, and I I've talked about this before too, and I always encourage people uh, to get in touch with your body. You know, mm-hmm. to 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 look for ways to become aware of your body, what it's trying to tell you. Um, and, and, it, it, and it works, but it, but it does take effort, especially in today's world where we're so distracted. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to people who are, you know, really into driving. You know, they, they love driving. They love their cars. You know, maybe they even do it professionally. And if there's a certain sound or a certain smell or a certain vibration or any tiny little thing that's different. Yeah. While they're driving, they pick it up. They, they notice. notice it, and they immediately start processing. Okay, what's going on? Am I about to break down? Is my wheel going to fall off? Yeah. People are so in t- can be so in touch, for example, with their car or their truck or whatever it is they're driving, that they, they know when something's wrong. And yet they have no clue what their body's <laughs> trying to tell them. Well, and so, for example, um, headaches. Yeah. If you get headaches a lot. It could be due to... Even just mild dehydration. Yeah, you might want to just drink more water. You know, we talked about how the human body is made up mostly of water. And even mild dehydration would be like maybe 1.5% of your water. You know, being 1.5% lower. And and that's enough to create mild dehydration. 
and it can actually lead to headaches, you know, especially the the low grade mm-hmm. kinds of pain headaches that are just annoying, that interfere with your productivity, that just interfere well, with your mood. And then you're popping ibuprofen. Yeah. To mitigate your water intake. Yeah. And then and you now have a headache and then eventually you get sick because you're taking too much ibuprofen. Right. And so yeah, it's hard a on system. your liver. Yeah. You know, and and also because I know a few people who suffer from regular migraines and that's different. I, and I've never experienced. I don't think I've ever experienced a migraine. I've had some occasionally some pretty severe headaches, but I the people I know who do have migraines, it really lays them out. Yeah, yeah. They're I mean, it's gone. they become hypersensitive to touch, to sound, to light. They uh, they're just almost writhing in pain. Uh, but there was a there there have been studies. There was a recent study done to show that uh, people who stay well hydrated, while it may not. Uh, stop the migraines, it has been shown to significantly reduce the intensity really? of the migraine. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's not necessarily like a cure-all. I'm not saying, hey, drink a lot of water and never suffer from anything again, but it can mitigate yeah. the, the intensity of, of the migraine. You, you even found that it could also uh, decrease cancers, certain cancers. Yeah, particularly bladder Cancer, really? Yeah, this was a this was actually a pretty great study. Over forty nine thousand wow, men were, were followed for oh, for twenty two years, so from young to old, and they found that uh, that you know the, the the men who drank ten and a half cups of water a day had twenty four percent lower risk of bladder cancer. It's um, amazing. And there's some, I guess, what you might call uh, you know weaker evidence uh, that has indicated that. Um, Drinking, you know, an adequate amount of water uh, facilitates digestion, mm-hmm. facilitates regular bowel movements, allowing you to remove potentially carcinogenic, cancer-causing agents from the body. So eliminate it from the body. So, uh, you know, constipation is not a good thing. It just allows things to kind of sit in the colon. Uh, some of those things uh, can be damaging to the surface of the colon cause cell mutations, which can lead to, you know, colon cancer or something like that. So having, you know, regular bowel movements, getting things through quicker. Yeah. Yeah, And of course, you know, uh, there are other dietary factors. Regular exercise helps with that, uh, you know, also. But but drinking enough water uh, can actually help remove carcinogens Hmm. from the body. At least that's that's one of the suspected uh, causes. But too, and uh, we've only got about a minute, if you you feel like you're getting foggier head and foggier thinking, maybe too, that's a place where you need more water. Yeah, so that was also a fascinating study. This was done in college students, young college students. I think it might have been freshmen even. Uh, When they took water into an exam, and I see this more now than ever. I mean, you and I yeah. know, you know, back when you were a kid, how many people did you see carry around a water no bottle? One. Not a single person. Yeah, there was a no, drinking fountain. There was a drinking fountain, but nobody carried water bottles. I see students all the time. They got water bottles in their backpacks. That, I mean, now the water bottle has become a massive industry. Yeah. You know, uh, there, some are actually status symbols. No, right. You know, you yeah. can have the top. I have one that's top of the line. Yeah, the top of the line water bottle. Yeah. But, but that's, you know, while you might kind of think, well, that, you know, that was never like that when I was a kid. Why are we doing that? It's actually probably a good thing. So this one study showed that among college freshmen, when they took water, like a water bottle, into an exam and sipped on it throughout the exam, they actually performed better. They thought better. Yeah, they thought better. That's they, amazing. They, they thought better. And I, and I just want to mention a couple of things, yeah. just, just quickly, Matt, that people can do. We talked about adding fruit or vegetables to your water. You can even add herbs and spices. Huh. Um, I haven't tried a whole lot of this, but I'm starting to experiment with it a little bit. 
you know those those uh, cinnamon sticks. Yeah. You know that you can kind of grind up or whatever yeah. and put in recipe. Putting cinnamon in water. So Is it good. I was just thinking about the herb issue. You know, and um, and I, I haven't tried that, but I do know that they put cinnamon in that. Uh, uh, drink that you get at like a Mexican food restaurant. Uh, yeah, uh, what, what is that stuff? Kind of the hor- horchata. Horchata. Oh yeah, horchata. I can taste the cinnamon in that, mm. so I'm figuring this must be good. Yeah, for it's got to be good I, for it, you. It's probably not. <laughs> um, now there are other things you can do to increase your water consumption by making it part of uh, what you normally do every day. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you take a bathroom break, also make sure that you drink a lot of water. You take a water break. You, that you take a water break, or make a rule that every time you walk past a water fountain, you at least take a sip. You know, or more, mm-hmm. or walk past a water cooler, fill up the cup, and drink it once. So the things you do every day, walking from point A to point B, going to the bathroom, uh, you know, you can make sure, or, or eating even. Uh, in one study, uh, they found that uh, significantly more weight was lost if people drank one pint, which is not a lot, no. one pint of water before anything that they ate. Wow. Yeah, so obviously you're going to eat during the day. We'll just make sure that when you eat, it's preceded by... You know, some water some consumption, water. Yeah. and just and just fill your gut with water instead of yeah. And, and then here's something too that I've I've learned, and I do this regularly. Uh, you mentioned that you know when you were coming off of your fast, yeah. thinking about drinking juice, it just seems so concentrated and so rich. Uh, so what I do now, and this actually works, uh, when I drink something that's of, of a juice nature. Uh, I dilute it yeah, to, about 50, to about 50%. And you can totally do that. And, and so basically what I'm trying to do is get flavored water uh-huh. instead of, you know, highly concentrated juice beverages. that's a great juice way to beverages. do it. And, 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 That's great. And, and that actually works really well for me. Now, oh, totally. It, it might, might not for other people, but, you but know, you got, you got to figure out what works stuff, for you. But just test it sure, out. Sure, experiment. Absolutely. Dr. Ron Hager is his name. He's our health evangelist helping us all live longer and uh, stronger. We appreciate him being here. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back. It's that time to go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Their show tees off in about nine and a half minutes at the top of the hour. So we like to talk to Spencer and Jerem, find out what they're going to be talking about, and just, uh, you know, learn. Learn from these great uh, teachers. Gentlemen, how are you? Are you ready to be educated? Yes. I want you to edumacate me. We were we were uh, dancing to that music of were the you? promo right before. You guys, I like that echo. That was a really cool echo, right? That, that was, was very exciting. We meant to do that. You you guys are amazing. It was only when you sang they took it away. I know what <laughs> happens. Really what is that about? Hey, you guys, guess what? On my show uh, in the first hour, I had um, the author of the book Unwinding Madness: What Went Wrong with College Sports and How to Fix It. Ooh. Ooh, and uh, you've heard? Have you heard of Andrew Zimbalist? He's the, he's an economist that talks about how upside down all of these programs are financially. Anyway, oh, Drew, I've heard of him now. Andrew Zimbalist. Anyway, he was the, anyway he was one of the co-authors on the book. So here's the question, Matt. For the first time ever, I want to listen to your show. No, do you know what, what? you? What? <laughs> no, come on! Holy I'm cow! Kidding. I'm that, just kidding. What an dude. honor! No, but what I'm an just honor! Kidding. You know, it only took four years. I'm just kidding. You know <laughs> I love cow. you. Man. I know you do. I totally do. In fact, I'll let you borrow this book because you will. You wouldn't. You can't believe how underwater these teams are. 
Uh, notably, the University oh, of California at Berkeley. Like, like financially. Yeah, financially yeah. underwater, and just what it's costing culturally. each universe culturally. They're totally empty. No, but um, one of the questions is, if if they could turn college sports professional, so they became professional athletes and outsourced them, so they were no longer part of the university, but they were using the university facilities and name, but making money, would that be a good way to go? This is a complicated issue. There's no simple answer, in my opinion. Does it have to? Because it's already a big business in you know, in a lot of the universities. Yeah. Yeah. So why not just turn the it over to a professional PR. and and quit yeah. pretending that it's about getting scholarships for everyone? Well, from I think for most people that's the case, though. Most of the student-athletes want to go to class and get that degree. They do, don't it's they? It's only the really elite ones that are, hey, I'm, I'm just here so I can go play that's true. later. Think about the percentage of of athletes from BYU that actually go and play right. pro. Like it's, it's like 3%. It's probably 3%. Yeah, right. Well, and like think that. about your show because really your show highlights all of the athletes. Yes. And pretty much every one of those, even if they're top of their field, most of them still won't go pro. That's right. That's cool. I mean, that, yeah, it, so that's it, the real spirit behind it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the role that sports play at a university, right? Um, in many instances, the athletics are the best PR arm yeah. of the university. They normalize it. They create a certain culture and a draw, standing a draw and interest level national. Like Florida Gulf Coast is this basketball uh, school in Florida that's they dunk and shoot threes and they make the tourney in their front. There they had a tremendous increase in applications following their Sweet Sixteen run. Yeah, they wouldn't have that if they they couldn't have paid for that kind of publicity, right? Right. Um, instead, we know who they are. Whatever. At, at BYU, it's always played a big part because there is this ideal to, hey, let's exercise. Let's be, let's normalize our image as well. Yeah. Hey, we can be good at football and still kind of do it differently and go on missions and whatever. So it definitely plays a role in terms of paying the athletes. I, I have yet to hear someone propose something that made absolute sense yeah, to me. Yeah, that's the problem. Huh? That. Because how do you – so everyone gets paid the same? Well, Tanner Mangum is worth more to the school than the backup whatever. Right, right. right? So do you give him more? What if he's not the starter anymore? What if he gets hurt? Like, how does that work? You know, it's so complicated. That's no, I think I think you're right, and that's what one of the things he was saying is, it's complicated, and then you still have to get people to do it, and nobody <laughs> wants to do it. And like, Congress, good ideas, yeah, are one thing. Congress doesn't want to yeah. touch it. The presidents of the universities don't really want to touch it. Yeah, but you know who it is? It seems like more like the state legislators. Still don't want to touch it, except they also know that they can't keep this up in some and, of these states. And they only govern the public schools. Yes, exactly. They don't, they don't govern BYU, a private institution. What about the privates? Yeah. And we talked about Rick's College. Oh, we've got to let you guys go. But Rick's College, when they, when they turned to BYU-Idaho, they had to make a decision. Are we going to do sports or not? And, and BYU-Hawaii has made the same decision. They're cutting athletics uh, as of, I think, July 1st. Are they really? Okay. So, somewhere around. They're basically done. Now. What's on your show? Uh, the beautiful uglies, Matt Townsend. Ooh. There's some beautiful ugly people on campus. <laughs> yeah, they're we're talking they, about that particular. It's, it's group. On, they're all on my show. It's all my show. <laughs> How did BYU team. get better on June sixth? They got a Notre Dame transfer. We'll tell you about him. Sweet. Is there Plus, any anything else? Oh yeah, the O line coach Mike Kempe will join us to discuss. Uh, his son's one of these people. Yes, Plus the Notre Dame transfer. Um, what what position group is most important to the future success of BYU? Football. Maybe it's the offensive line. 
Plus Bill Bender of the Sporting News and a new Between the Lines with Lauren Franklin. Oh, you guys, you did it again. You're welcome. Another perfect show. You're welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, In just four minutes, folks. In four minutes, you can just eat it up. BYU Sports Nation. Good stuff. Hey, we were telling you about earlier about a bear that's trying to get donuts, tears off a Colorado car bumper. You got to watch out for donuts on Donut Day a few days ago because it attracted apparently a lot of bears. A bear with a sweet tooth ripped off the bumper of a car used to deliver donuts in Colorado, then tried to claw its way through the trunk to get inside. Moose Watch Cafe owner Kim Robertson said she and her husband discovered the bumperless car after they awoke Monday in Steamboat Springs. They initially thought it had been a truck, had been struck by another vehicle. Then they saw the telltale sign of claw marks and paw marks. The car had just constantly smells like a rolling bakery, she said. It's like Winnie the Pooh with honey. There were no donuts at the time in the Ford Focus, but there were some sweet-smelling aprons. After ripping off the bumper, the bear made a valiant attempt at clawing away on the insulation of the truck of the trunk to get to the sweet smell inside. Anyway, the bear never actually got inside, but boy, oh boy, did it cause a lot of damage trying to do so. So if you've got donuts, you know what? Eat them. Hey, hey, boo-boo. Hey, boo-boo. Let's get us some donuts. You know, uh, you really got to gotta watch out because it's, it's all cute. You know, bears are all cute until you got a donut in your pocket or, you know, a donut apron that smells like a donut and they're chasing you down. Hey, also, um, a young man seeks a barbecue da- dad for Father's Day weekend. A group of men in their 20s in Washington state have posted to Craigslist seeking a generic dad to grill burgers and hot dogs for a gathering that is set to take place on Saturday of Father's Day weekend. Qualifications include a minimum of 18 years experience as a dad. Ten years of grilling experience. The successful dad must bring his own grill, uh, but burgers and hot dogs will be provided. The young men in Spokane don't live with their fathers, and the ad says none are prepared to fill the role of the barbecue dad. See what it takes. What a great thing. Generic white New Balance shoes. That's optional. right. And be ready to talk about certain things like mowing the lawn, uh, you know, bring your own deck, uh, uh, card deck, uh, deck of cards, and and any musician, any musical uh, or any music from Jimmy Buffett would also kind of tip you over and give you an advantage. Hey, as as we like to wrap up the show, here's the hero story. Not all heroes wear tights, but New York City man Gray Davis does. In his job as a dancer with the American Ballet Theater, Davis 31 sprang into action after a homeless man was pushed onto subway tracks on Saturday night jumping onto the tracks and lifting the unconscious 58-year-old man to safety before swinging himself up, according to the AP report. Police say 23-year-old woman who fled the scene on foot was arrested in connection with the assault at the 72nd Street Broadway 7th Avenue station. So a dancer from American Ballet Theater springs into action, Gray Davis, and saves a man's life. Anyway, how cool is that? Just being there, right? Right time, right place. And then doing what you got to do. That's what makes a hero. That's the show, my friends. We'll take a, We'll be back. Uh, again, BYU Sports Nation is up next in about 30 seconds. Until tomorrow, though, let's watch out for each other and let's make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.